have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet Radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. shortage, toilet paper shortage. It's crazy. If you're worried about the future, I really don't blame you. Millions of Americans are wondering what to do. How do you hedge your bed? How do you protect yourself and your family? Well, Americans are quietly stocking up on emergency food. Shouldn't you? So ask yourself, Do you currently have enough food on hand to get you through the next month? If not, you should strongly consider getting a four-week emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. They're the nation's number one preparer of this company, and their mission is your survival. They've served millions of American families, and they will be honored to serve you too. So right now, you can save $50 off their four-week emergency food kit, which comes with breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, and even snacks. This food gives you a minimum requirement of 2,000 calories per day, and the special packaging keeps it fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage. You can't go wrong. So head on over to prepare with SouthernSense.com and claim your four-week emergency food kit at this special price. You'll save $50 per kit if you act now. So if you're on my website listening to this show, go up to the top corner and you'll see my smiling face on the left-hand side where it says prepare. Click on that link to My Patriot Food. 
or you can go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. Be prepared. All right, and welcome to another adventure here on Southern Sense Live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media. Oh, up on Global Enlightenment Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, iHeart. Oh, the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Of course, I'm your hostess with the most, just the Radio Chickadee Annie, along with my co-host, the courageous and own, one and only Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. We've got another rockin' and rollin' good show coming up. I see, and uh, as always, I'm looking Yay. forward to uh, hearing our speakers. Well, you, you, you hear the ambulances behind me? See that? They're getting ready to put the fire out. <laughs> There's a fire over there? I just heard the ambulances and, and trucks go past. No. <laughs> So this time they're not heading to my house. Nope, 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 no, nope, they're not. Hey, listen, we've got ourselves great, uh, great. We actually lost one person just last minute today. Uh, her scheduling got all fouled up. Tiffany Thompson will not be with us. She's asking to come on next week. So hopefully we'll get her scheduled for next week. Um, or even, she may even come. What is what is next week? Next week is uh, April Fool's Day, isn't it? Yeah, yeah we're broadcasting. Yeah, it'll be April Fool's Day. Oh, wow. Oh, we're going to have to have a lot of fun on that day. I mean, I, we can't have a serious show, can we? I don't know. Uh, but we have Is Dr. that when we have Karen Barnett? Is that when we have Karen Barnett? And I think she is uh, uh, April 15th, IRS Day. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, Doomsday. Doomsday. Yeah, Tax Day. Uh, but we have uh, Dr. Claudia C. Kotka. Uh, she's going to be talking to about us about a whole plethora of different things. Mark Berline, who has a new book out, just came out just recently called The Dumbest Generation Grows Up. It's a sequel to his original uh, book, The Dumbest Generation. Uh, it's The Dumbest Generation Grows Up from Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. And we're seeing that today. I mean, that's going to be one heck of a conversation. And then the Heritage Foundation uh, is sending us a columnist from their paper, their website paper, The Daily Signal, Doug Blair. So we have ourselves a nice, a nice lineup, a lot to talk about. Um, we'll be discussing Ukraine. We're going to be discussing the woke society out there. We'll be talking about so many different things. And we'll get into uh, the opioid epidemic epidemic, uh, vaccine mandates, you name it, it's going to be across the board. So with that said, my jaw is already getting tired from talking too much. <laughs> I know that. But, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Uh, today's show, you know, every show is dedicated to a fallen hero. And today's show is going to be going out to... Uh, let me get my little dedication thing up here. I've got something blocked on the screen. Here we go. A Deputy Constable Neil Adams of San Jacinto County Constable's Office, Precinct Number 1 out of Texas. His end of watch was Wednesday, February 23rd of this year. And this is from local news, click to Houston.com by Maura Ballard. The shooting happened at the Plaza Americas Mall in southwest Houston. A San Jacinto County Precinct 1 deputy constable was killed 
after a shooting at the mall Wednesday afternoon, according to authorities. Officials from the Houston Police Department and San Jacinto County identified the officer as Deputy Neil Adams. The deputy was at the shopping complex working an extra job at the time of the shooting. Adams was an officer who worked for the county when he took care of a multitude of environmental issues like spilled sewage and other unsanitary conditions, according to Precinct 1, Constable Roy Rogers. He graduated from the police academy back in 2012. HPD Chief Troy Finner said the shooting happened around 3.57 p.m. in the 7500 block of Bel Air Boulevard. According to reports from the scene, Adams and the suspect were involved in an altercation before the suspect gained control of Adams' gun. The suspect shot Adams and ran to the food court. Two other officers, Officer T. Salome and Officer M. Nasser, located the suspect inside the building and noticed he had a sharp weapon in his hand. The suspect began to charge at the two officers, prompting them to open fire. He was shot and later pronounced dead. Described the suspect as a 35-year-old African-American man and said more details will be released on him at a later time. Officer Salome and Officer Nasser were placed on administrative duties. Finner said the Harris County District Attorney's Office is investigating and HPD will lead their efforts. Governor Greg Abbott released a statement on the shooting of San Jacinto County Deputy the following day. Our hearts are with the family of Deputy Constable Neil Adams, who passed away yesterday evening in Houston while working an off-duty security job at a local mall, said Governor Abbott. We are grateful for the dedication of our law enforcement officers who are committed to keeping us safe, whether on or off duty, and their immeasurable sacrifices are not lost on us. The state of Texas has offered assistance and support to the city of Houston as they investigate the shooting. Cecilia and I ask our fellow Texans to join us in praying for Deputy Adams' family and the Precinct 1 Constable's office during this difficult time. Flags outside the San Jacinto County Courthouse were lowered to half-staff in honor of the deputy. His death blanketed the county seat with hushed grief. Adam was known to many throughout the tight-knit community. His wife, after all, Diana D.D. Adams, is the county's elected treasurer, and he was a frequent sight in her offices at the courthouse. The couple met at the sheriff's office when both worked as dispatchers at one point. Adams was a late bloomer to law enforcement. Roy Rogers, Precinct 1 Constable, said Adams graduated from the academy in 2012 while in his 50s. He told me it was a booger, meaning a hard time for him. He joined the San Jacinto County Sheriff's Office next and later the constable's office. In 2020, County commissioners tapped him to be their first environmental officer, handling nuisance abatement and illegal, illegal dumping complaints in a county dominated by Sam Houston National Forest. 
we needed a law enforcement officer to issue citations and really use some teeth, said Adams Supervisor Precinct 3 Commissioner David Brandon. Brandon and Rogers were among the county officials who rushed to Memorial Herman in the Texas Medical Center to be by the side of Adams' wife. Houston officers escorted the duo and others from Kingwood and onward. The officials, although late to return to Cold Spring from the hospital, showed up for work the next morning. County Clerk Dawn Wright had tears in her eyes. It's our job, and we have to do our jobs, Wright said. She and her husband, Dwayne Wright, spent the 63-mile drive to Houston dwelling on their fate of their longtime friend. At the hospital, Adam's wife gave her husband a task to go get his truck. I picked up his vehicle at the crime scene, Wright's husband said. He found the truck where Adams left it, behind the mall. He turned the car on, and the radio started blasting 80s music. In the CD player was a Sarah McLaughlin album. I didn't know how much it was going to affect me, he said. During the night, Adams' wife addressed reporters outside the hospital, a rare move following the death of a law enforcement officer in Houston. Flanked by police, she referred to other officers like her husband as sheepdogs. My, my husband always said, you can be a sheep, Adams said. They just wanted to protect. That's what they want to do in their hearts. Dwayne Wright said Adams voiced his concern about working at the mall at least once. He was glad that we live in a sleepy community. He has known law enforcement officials in San Jacinto County to drive as far as Houston for a chance to earn extra cash. Rogers said overtime jobs are a vital supplement to their income. Even he does. He does them. It's something that becomes second nature to you when you're in law enforcement, a constable said. If you don't have an extra job, your family will starve. And finally, from Erica Ponder. Deputy Constable Neil Adams, 62, went through the academy to become a a peace officer. He was an environmental officer for the county and took care of a multitude of environmental-related issues. Neil was dedicated. He was a true family man and did things the right way. He wanted to treat people right. He wanted to do the right thing, said Constable Rogers. Adams was working a second job at the shopping complex at the time of the deadly shooting. I ask that everybody pray for this beautiful family. Pray for law enforcement. Pray for our cities, our counties, and our nation. Houston Police Uh, Department Chief Troy Finner said, he's a hero. He's a hero and we want to honor him. Rogers described Adams as a good man that worked hard to take care of his family and the constituents of the county. D.D. Adams, the wife of Constable Adams, asked that everyone pray for law enforcement officers. I just wanted to say that my husband always said, again, you can either be a sheep or a sheepdog. And I want everyone to pray for all the sheepdogs out there, protecting everybody. They get a bad rep, and they just want to protect. 
that's what they want to do in their heart. And everybody's turned their back on them. And everybody should pray for all of them because they're here for you. Rogers was grateful for Dee Dee's comments and said he was amazed by her strength and grace. She was a very strong woman that night, and I don't see how she did it. She was stronger than I was, and I am here with 40-plus years experience in law enforcement. Rogers said, Adams is a third peace officer that has been killed in the first two months of 2022. Others have been injured in the line of duty. Today's show is dedicated to Deputy Constable Adams. It's also dedicated to all of the brave men and women out there who serve in law enforcement as first responders, as firefighters, and emergency services. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into our promising future. We dedicate the song by Todd Allen Herndon, My Name is America. May God bless each and every.
I've listened to Southern Sense, and I'm not even going to try to go over half the places that we're at. So just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Of course, I am your hostess with the least most of the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my co-host, who's pulling rabbits out of the hat right as we speak, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Oh, good afternoon. Hey. Amen. We look like we got a last minute add on on the guest list. Kate Carl Smith of the Frederick Douglass Republican founder. Wow. Oh, Thank yeah. you very much, Curtis. We'll wrap it out of that. I, I just told want you. to join in. All right. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's I am awesome. still recuperating. I was part of a um, University of uh, Florida knee pain study group. And um, they gave me quite a workout last Tuesday, and I'm still recuperating from that. But um, I tell you, they know how to just to uh, put you through a, a torture, you know, session. <laughs> oh, don't 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 complain to me about uh, knee pain and knee surgeries. Uh, uh-uh. uh, you're talking to the wrong person. <laughs> After having my knee well, replaced twice, I'm looking for a little sympathy. <laughs> you ain't gonna get it here. I'm telling you that. <laughs> oh, I'm so mean. I am so mean. Uh, yeah. But I'm okay. Glad. So very, very glad. All right. Well, I'm trying to pull up a picture of Kate Carl uh, so we can add it to um, our show lineup, and let's put it in here, and let's get. All right, we we got that now. All right, so we can add that up to the lineup. And we're waiting for our first guest to call in about five minutes. But uh, I've been following a lot of the stuff that's been going on in the Ukraine. And uh, it looks like the tide has actually started to turn. And it looks like the Ukrainians are starting to get a little bit of the upper hand, which I am very, very glad to see. And... uh, now, where the heck did K-Carl just go? I just pulled it, put him in here. Now, this is crazy. He's All right. He's around somewhere. <laughs> no, I just, I was putting him on for, to add him up to the show lineup, and the picture just disappeared. Ah, got to try that again. All right. Um, anyway, it looks like uh, the Ukrainian army and the people are starting to really, really stand up. And I don't know if anyone saw it, but uh, women, women are returning and taking up arms to fight alongside the men. That. Yeah, I heard about that. That is amazing. Um, I think the Russians are going to find themselves in the same situation they were when they went into Afghanistan back in the 80s. And they got their butts um, sent home on a platter. I mean, it did help that we gave them... Those stinger missiles and stuff to Afghanis, but uh, I don't know. They eventually turned against us, and that was the birth of uh, Osama bin Laden and his hatred for us. Yeah, yeah. And uh, oh well, now I found K. Carl. <laughs> well, let's mm-hmm. try this once more time. Anyway, yeah, it looks like the tides are turning because um, one of the seaports. Is it Odessa? Uh, one, it's very, at one point, a very beautiful luxury resort. But the people are coming out in droves. They're playing Bon Jovi, 
they, they have an actual band on the beach as people are loading up sandbags to um, help shore up and make barriers. So, you know, the people that are remaining are the ones that are, are proving to be, you know, tough fighters. And the Russians are not accustomed to that. They go in, they bombard the crap out of everyone, and then um, just sweep in. But now they're talking about possibly, I just messed myself up, uh, possibly, um, um, I just lost my mind, my mind, that uh, the Russians may only be here for a few more weeks. I'll tell you this much, um, from what what I'm hearing about the Russian army, I don't know, it seemed like they they were not prepared for this. And I'm thinking, well, if they're having this much problem with a a militia-type resistance, uh, how would they they, um, compete against us and our well-trained military? You know, I mean, for years we have heard that they pretty much are, are equal. But I'm not so certain now. I don't know. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know. And I, I know right now. Do. I know what our military can do. I mean, our guys are very well trained, highly trained. So I, I'm just curious. You know, maybe we overestimated uh, Russia. I don't know if we. I think Russia overestimated itself because some of the reports <laughs> I'm getting is that. The missiles they're firing, 60% of them don't, don't work. They don't detonate. So imagine how many they are firing just to take out some of those cities. And you see the total devastation. So they're firing thousands of missiles, but they've got just so much in their stockpile. And for every 1,000 missiles, we have one. So if only 60% of them are actually hitting the target and are doing what they're supposed to do, not, I mean, less than 60, only 40%, only 40% are, are actually causing the destruction, begs to differ how many are they firing and how much do they have left in the stockpile before they have no stockpile left. Well, it sounds like they're using antiquated equipment and munitions. And that surprises me too. I thought they have had upgraded their um, their arsenal, the military arsenal, the munitions. But it doesn't sound like it. If it takes that many missiles to get one to land where it should, that sounds like World War II technology. When we used to drop bombs out of airplanes, we could we could be hopeful that at least two out of twenty might hit the target when we have like a cluster bomb drop. No, it's it, it's a situation that is really heating up, and we'll be following it as we go along the broadcast. Um, but uh, the women are taking up arms. The people in the villages and the cities are showing up in droves to fill up sandbags and help create barricades. And the Ukrainian army is starting to take villages around Kiev back. They are starting to reclaim and now the Russians are saying, well, maybe we won't do any more advancement. Uh, maybe we'll just, you know, take over where the, the Soviet separatists are, you know, the people that are Russians that want to be part of Russian. But we'll talk mm-hmm. about that some more later. It looks like we've got our first guest in on the line, and I hope I do not mess up her name 
too badly, but would like to welcome to the show Professor Claudia C. Katka. Did I pronounce that correctly? <laughs> yes, you have. Thank you so much, honey. Such a pleasure and privilege to be here. Oh, it is ours, too. Um, we have so much to talk about, so much is going on in today's news and world. Um, you're a specialist in many areas. Uh, <laughs> you want to tell us about yourself because I'm flabbergasted. You're, you're a dental researcher. You're a speaker. Uh, you're a chairman and symposium organizer for pharmacology and therapeutics and tech. tech- See, I can't even say the word toxicology. Uh, what don't you do? <laughs> Oh, many other things, many other things. We're all called to with certain talents and, and destinies, if you will. I uh, knew uh, dentistry was in my blood when I was five years old, and so approximately five, give or take a few months. Um, and so uh, for me, it was very specific, um, and um, you know, from that moment on, it was uh, quite focused. So I'm a primarily a clinician at heart and talent, um, a dentist, of course, but because of my interest to honor the scientific, physiologic, natural process of how we have been made and how we function, I adhere to um, physiologic demand. So I look at cause and effect axis of diagnosis and treatment planning, and of course incorporate the toxicology aspect in private practice by looking to understand how host and systemic profiles of individuals are deficient with respect to the demand for healing. And that is incorporated then in the treatment planning. And so with that goal in mind, we optimize on the um, therapeutics, of course, and we can differentiate very easily what's going to have a great therapeutic impact and what's going to have a liability. Because everything we do in life, uh, whether small or large, uh, has a balance of forces, right, positive and negative. So there's a cost uh, and a risk factor as well as a benefit. And we always want to optimize the benefit and, of course, minimize the risk. Um, and then, yes, I, I'm more extended into the healthcare, I would say, um, analyst perspective, uh, micro and macro, uh, not just in the United States, but internationally, just because of my regulatory background for the past 18 years in Washington, D.C., as well as on policy. Um, everything is really motivated for me to see great innovations and concepts incorporated by the participants that transact in the healthcare commodity space. And that's the reason why I have been involved and doors were open. So, it was really inevitable for me to do the right thing and say, yes, I can contribute expert opinion. You know, um, a lot of doctors, when you go in there uh, and you have an ache or a pain, are easy to push a pain pill. And uh, I've seen this happen too many times. And with my background, I've seen the, the consequences of it. And consequently, I'm one of those, the second they say a pain medication, I'm like, wait a minute, back off here. Uh, I'm... I'm not someone that readily takes it. So what do you say to someone like me? Because now I've had, well, actually I've counted after my last knee revision, a total of 29 procedures. So what do you say to someone like me that's going to go through something like that um, that when they don't want to take the pain medication? Well, I think that's, first of all, is something that is, is very wise to, to evaluate, number one. Um, every single consumer, every single client, every single patient, when they are exposed to anything, and particularly in the healthcare commodity space, health services or products um, and medications, of course, um, they ought to consider all aspects, including no treatment. And so uh, with respect to the pain component, um, of course, you know, we, <laughs> um, we, we, we look to 
as a, as a practitioner, for instance, I can give myself an example. I have not prescribed an opioid since dental school, uh, and I graduated in 2012. Um, and um, when you look at the overall extended market of recommendations and medications, um, I'd like to say a couple of things. Um, it really comes with the um, uh, academic, I would say, ration of the clinician. Um, there's been a study um, recently that was done and that was found that majority of the opioid, heightened opioid prescription rates are really correlated, uh, not just correlated, they're indicative of um, graduates from medical or dental um, third-tier schools. And when we look at the tiering, of course, top schools are in the first tier. I myself from University of Michigan was privileged to, of course, go to a top one, number one school in the country and in the world for the past five years was always top three um, historically for decades. But, um, you know, part of, part of that um, report really drives to the point of knowledge as well as accessibility, but also other elements and pressures like, for instance, third-party payers and managed care. And so um, every single option that a patient considers um, will have, as I mentioned before, a risk benefit, a risk and benefit analysis requirement. And so medications, as I see them, as a scientist, as a clinician, are really a bridge to get to a certain point where there's stability enough of an opportunity to actually then go back to say, okay, what needs to be happening in order for the cause and effect to be recalibrated? Uh, that axis of, of abnormality. And so most of the time, um, particularly when we look at, um, you know, treatments in office or um, outpatient treatments or hospitalization type treatments, um, with very rare exceptions, are, you know, we're not dealing with life-threatening decisions here. That's obvious and common sense. But when we're talking about in terms of preventative measures, there's a great deal of enrichment that I think the United States consumers have access to. However, there's a bombardment by the technology platforms, consumer-driven uh, type uh, marketing platforms that really select and make it difficult to really um, see where the expert opinion is. And part of that, I would say, deficiency because experts have not traditionally historically felt that they need to sort of, you know, fight and battle uh, with other participants in the healthcare space to, um, you know, to contribute their opinion. They assume that individuals or companies or um, platforms that want to partake in that case, in, in that space, will intrinsically incorporate the same Hippocratic Oath approach that an expert would. But that's not, that's clearly not the case. And one of the largest, I would say, pressure um, in terms of the selective I would say recommendations for certain medications with examinations, depending on in-network or out-of-network status or third-party payers, comes from, of course, the insurance uh, uh, managed care for, um, perspective and pressure, as well as the venture capital in the, uh, um, you know, in the open market um, uh, margin acquisitions and innovation. Uh, uh, science innovations uh, roll out in the marketplace, and it's become so competitive that, you know, part of my recent message, I would say nationally and internationally, when incorporating um, discussions or being incorporated in platforms with all the participants um, in the healthcare uh, commodity space is to really convince them that if they really want to transact in the space, they really need to consider Hippocratic Oath level of thought process when they roll out, you know, their business. Well, you know, we, we have these uh, marketing companies 
that sit between the pharmaceutical companies and the doctors. And they're making money hand over fist. Uh, so how do we cut that out and just give the doctors the information they need instead of having someone peddle the pills uh, to the doctors? And it's like, well, you get this incentive if you prescribe X amount. How do we, how do we take that out but give the doctors the tools they need, but yet the pharmaceutical companies can still make a profit, but without that middle person in between. You understand right. what I'm thinking? So two things, of course, of course. So there's several things I can say here, but I'm going to just focus on two things because of our limited time frame. One, of, um, one is that private sector clinicians, physicians, dentists, etc., who are out of network, those are the individuals that have more control over what they can recommend and also tend to be more informed and more able and talented and, and supportive in terms of the exchange for or recommendations for more expansive options. So they're not constricted and they're not forced. Now, very few individuals would be literally going into, let's say, a, um, a, a project intentionally losing money and not being able to practice. So there has to be some reasonable recognition of the forces that are at bay. Um, yes, it's more difficult to be out of network. Yes, it's more difficult to be independent practitioner. But those are the practitioners that actually really stand up for the, uh, I would say, for the profession overall and for the consumer because we, we really are called, outside of priesthood, you, you know, med medicine is the only, um, I would say, vocation that is required by, by oath to put the interests of their um, patients, their clients, ahead of their own. Now, with respect to the aspect you made, uh, the, the, the reference to the pharmaceutical company, you know, there is a... Um, um, I would say, again, recognition that um, the contract that of the clinicians or experts in the managed care or in the large organizations, by and large, in the last, I would say, 10 years or so, are really contractually with specific recommendations, meaning that the companies have become more involved in actually telling the expert, okay, this is what you're hired for, this particular procedure, that particular medical device, that particular axis. And so... Um, that has to be kept in mind from a consumer's perspective. And so I think that um, overall, um, it's not going to be a system, uh, in this case is not a self-corrected, I would say, um, allowance for the system. The consumer has to, has to, I think, use common sense principles, first of all, to take ownership in their own responsibility of understanding their body and also be able to fight. You know, um, for instance, with the opioids is an example of addressing pain, right? And by and large, naturally speaking, we don't like pain. But pain is a very important um, signal, if you will, put there by God to actually get our attention and focus on what is wrong. And the whole purpose of that is that so that we can address it, not to skip it, not to minimize it, not to ignore it, and not to shelf it. And so when we look at you know, that in that way and, and, and that particular rationale, I think it becomes a different than a process of um, analysis and um, the consumer does have the plethora of options available, uh, but of course, when we look at the most, I would say, higher frequency, um, you know, messages existing in the in the marketing, I would say, in the open market, they are driven by by um, by participants which control which, which control uh, a significant chunk of the market. But there still exist, obviously, contributory voices like myself. Um, and others who who you know who are engaged in in maintaining that um, that superior uh, standard of practice. Well, uh, 
there's so much you just put in there that has my mind reeling because you look at the TV today and the commercials and even on the internet, commercials and advertising for the pharmaceutical companies. Now, that was Mm -hmm. never allowed before. And I've been seeing reports and stuff saying that ever since they've started rolling out these ads, uh, more consumers are, I don't know, you could call it hypochondria or what, but they are asking for these specific medications thinking they have these conditions and symptoms. I mean, Mm -hmm. people, I'm sorry, they don't always do their research. And suddenly, if you've got a bellyache, that doesn't mean you have irritable bowel syndrome. It means you may have eaten something wrong, but yet they keep on asking for these medications that are being advertised uh, and when they really don't need it. Well, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I've noticed um, the minute I graduated is that um, um, here, myself and here in the D.C. Metro, Washington, D.C. Metro, um, any, um, I would say, individuals would come through and request a specific type of treatment or specific axis of medications. And I've had to turn away many, many, many cases um, that, you know, uh, that was not my recommendation. And so they, of course, inevitably found somebody that would, uh, you know, that have given them what they wanted. Now, um, there, is a, there is a requirement, um, and I would say a, a hurdle of uh, overcoming and competing as a in the private um, private sector, um, obviously competition in all commodities, including innovation as well as healthcare, um, you know, is really more diversified in the private sector. So, um, you know, if consumers, for instance, would um, find a value in a, in in the private clinician who uh, can spend more time with them, is eligible to give them more options outside of what the insurance covers. Uh, and not be dictated by the business analysis of recommendation, but rather by the expertise subject matter, um, then of course you're going to have a different, uh, you know, a, a different um, change happening. But you know, with the COVID, for instance, example, I just want to tap into uh, that illustration because it really um, did several things in, in terms of rising the awareness to comorbidities, and these are the um, um, these are. Uh, this is something that has occurred in the population for at least two, three decades. And, you know, us in the healthcare sector understand this well and try to communicate this to patients. And I was talking about comorbidities 20 years ago to patients. But unless it becomes, it seems like, unless it becomes a very large, almost to severe extension, um, not many people really pay attention in the early to moderate phase of that particular development. And I think that that's really where it goes back to say we are wearing you know, surrounded by incredible amount of luxurious and comfortable environment, but we are required to discipline ourselves to really keep in obedience, if you will, and respect to the physiologic demand, meaning that if nutritional, the nutritional value is constantly based on, you know, things that are quickly made, they're not properly cooked, um, you know, or they're, uh, um, you know, done in a way that is just loose, I should say, then um, one can certainly expect a certain, a certain result, and that has to be dealt with. Nothing really stays in the zero volume of, uh, you know, of no impact. You know, it's funny. Uh, you would love my household because 
I've got a back refrigerator with everything that I made, I jarred, along with my freezer. You know, you don't, you don't find very many pre-made things in my house. But that's another problem with our society. Uh, we are a disposable society, a fast food society. So people are not getting the type of, of food ingested into them and the wrong calories. Uh, so you can you can well, around and eat, but... But it's easy to pull up to Burger King or McDonald's than it is to actually make that hamburger yourself. Heaven forbid you actually make the roll yourself so you don't have all the preservatives in it. But, you know, it's, it's things like that that people no longer are doing. It's a fast food disposable society. Right. And I think that what is important to understand from this is that every single action and reaction has a liability, meaning that hamburger or that fast food option is not just the fact that you're not getting the correct requirement that your body needs. It's actually your body now is at risk and deficiency um, uh, propensity because they have to deal with things that they don't like to deal with. And so it takes longer for the metabolic break, uh, process to break down the food. It's more burdenful for the system. And that cycle gets larger and larger, more additive and synergistic with time. And so this is really where I would say common sense principles, you know, really have to subscribe to are really the most protective value that the individual has. Um, even if we would not be enriched, you know, by the um, incredible collection of information that we have here in the United States. I was born in a country, a communist country, where we didn't have access to resources, but we did have access to, obviously, uh, intellectual development and, and, and information, um, I would say, um, analysis. However, being that we are um, in a country like United States, uh, we need to really take advantage of everything. So um, I would say that there's a sense of responsibility in all, um, on all parties that participate in this situation. You know, we've, we've been com having an opioid epidemic, but because the uh, government, uh, the FDA and other regulations are now demanding that the doctors that uh, uh, prescribe the opiates, you know, report it. If you go to the pharmacy, you've got to show your driver's license before you can get the prescription. You know, all these little bells and whistles now that are put on the uh, opioids to help tamp down. But instead, people are clever, but now the Mexican cartels in China have figured out, hey, let's give them fentanyl uh, in place of the opioids they can't get. And now... We have more people dying from drug overdoses than from COVID. It's a very sad thing. I remember that when I was in Washington, when I, in my earlier days, 2000, early 2000s, I was working, I was working on the methamphetamine bills, for instance. And um, I think that, you know, the 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 point that you bring up with the opioids, of course, it's it's, it's much more extensive. There are going to be parties um, that unfortunately will take advantage of. Um, of uh, unchecked areas in the marketplace, um, but um, I would say that for the patients at large or individuals and consumers at large, I think they need to reevaluate those who, who are in the position that feel they need to uh, reevaluate or are on cocktail medications, um, looking at how they process pain. Uh, for instance, going to the gym and becoming sore obviously will have a, comp uh, uh, a presentation of pain, but it doesn't mean that you want to take a medication to it. However, there's been a lot of you know, a lot of drive to almost um, induce a fear toward pain, uh, whereas it's supposed to 
and 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 a lot of the the medications actually or or the thought process is really driven to to think of pain to numb the pain but it doesn't mean that the the dysfunctionality or abnormality is really um uh, addressed and so um it it it, it merits it merits our self-revaluation. Uh, for instance, um, any cocktail of medications and more, more than two or three will render dry mouth immediately, um, which may not be, of course, uh, felt by the individual because as an individual, our bodies really, we were created in such a way where um, there's not a shock system for every single process that happens in our body. Otherwise, we would be compelled to, to stop every second on something that happens physiologically. Um, but uh, there's a myriad of liabilities and, and, and burdens that occur when we choose the incorrect option or, a, or an option that has, you know, uh, five times the burden uh, of scale as opposed to another option that only has two. And that's really the way we need to we need to evaluate um, uh, selections when it comes to treating immediate things that we know are wrong, and also at the same time, preventative, continuing discipline to incorporate so that you don't um, you, you don't um, end up in a maximized um, um, situation of crises. Well, you know, I was I was watching a news report or I was reading it, something. And one of the craziest things I came across is that uh, people that exercise or work out at home um, are more radical uh, and not as woke in today's society as those that actually go to a gym and pay a gym membership. But mm-hmm. that is one of the craziest things I have ever heard. And the fact that we are advocating for physical exercise uh, to make yourself healthier and stronger and also boost your immune system. Uh, but if you do it at home, that's a bad thing. So you have to go to a gym where there's a bunch of dirty, sweaty, nasty people that you can catch germs from. <laughs> does, does this make any sense to you? Yeah, so, you know, I think we have to subscribe first, you know, first and foremost to common sense. And there's superiority, of course, of logic um, when we consider options here. So, um, you know, the, the individual has to um, um, look to see the advantages. Uh, but we, we can definitely see, I think, the thread of why herds are, of course, um, drawn in by certain um, business concepts or, or, or marketing, for instance, uh, uh, messages, um, which, you know, uh, sometimes it's uh, inevitably, uh, I would say, benign uh, at the first appearance. Um, however, th- there's always a, a functionality behind that. And I understand that, that there is a uh, economic scale of things and there's a cycle for the economy, but I truly believe that economy will still maintain itself uh, even more uh, superfluous, uh, uh, particularly if um, um, more superior options of doing the right thing incorporated in the processes and the selection of the products would be promoted. You know, um, you're into so many different things. I'm trying to figure out where I want to go next with you. Uh, but a lot of the the medications we get, the, the medications we're taking now, or the prescriptions, mm-hmm. or even, you know, uh, mm-hmm. supplements, are being manufactured in China where we have no control on the quality of it. Um, you right. get all these generic stuff coming in from China. Uh, so how do we get control of that? 
Why aren't these medications being made in America with American standards? Why? I mean, I wear a medical alert bracelet because I've had reactions to different medications, and I have to walk around with an EpiPen uh, because of those reactions. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times mm-hmm. I'm looking at going, well, this is a generic drug that I'm taking. Did it come from China? And how does the consumer know where that pill is manufactured in and what the quality of it is? Yes, it's very difficult. I'll start with the last point. It's very difficult to really know where things are coming from. It's going to be even more difficult. Um, as I see it in terms of the global perspective, um, you know, with respect to manufacturers and respect to the, 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 the business um, subsector, um, which um, obviously um, has a large, large impact in the healthcare commodity space, um, has a lot of has a lot to say about the standards and uh, at the policy and regulatory level. Uh, I can assure you that there are experts like myself who are incredibly devoted and committed uh, to ensure that we are protecting uh, you know the public. And but we also realize that um, political boundaries exist. We we we, are, we recognize and we are forced to respect uh, jurisdictional boundaries. Um, and so uh, we do the best we can to also uh, send correct messages and influence, um, well, try to impact in, in positive sense of recommendations and encouragement uh, with international participants to, um, to facilitate um, more appropriate uh, and more truthful premises of choice and selection for the marketplace. But there are some participants that inevitably have a lot more hold in terms of the control. And, and uh, one of the things that I've already mentioned, and one particular participant was, is the venture capital world, which really has a tremendous impact. And um, it, um, it really has become almost a, a concern for me um, as an, a clinician where I like to see innovations um, be accessible to the marketplace and be at least competitive to be on the market, at least to have a rollout so that the consumers are aware. Like, for instance, um, lasers um, and optical laser technology. Physiologically, they're much more intrinsically gentler or natural to the natural physiologic processes. And so they make a lot more impact in beneficial aspects as opposed to just uh, taking a uh, a rubric of um, you know single axis medication for one symptom, another one for the other, which more is more uh, classified as symptom driven therapeutics. I like to focus on the cause and effect, which is more systemic um, uh, essentially incorporation of all the comprised elements that contribute and and understand how things break down because that 's really when you proliferate a lot more effective treatment options for for the patients and um, and that also, I think, um, um, raises um, or, or, or um, instigates um, an encouragement for the, for the participant, whether it's at the individual practice level or whether uh, we are at the regulatory policy level. But we are, we are facing, um, when we talk about communities and large entities, we are facing huge hurdles in terms of um, having the sector or subsector really um, feel that they need to find an expert, an expert to have the interdisciplinary conversation, not just particular one organ, but a representation of the, of the uh, comprehensive um, you know, system that, that, that has to speak to that particular option. And, and that's really where I think you're going to have much more quality. Um, well, you know, it's funny because, um, unfortunately, my husband passed away last year. 
but when we were taking him from doctor to doctor to doctor, we had our GP be the center. He was the hub. So no matter what Mm -hmm. doctor we went to, we had his records and that information shipped to the GP so he could be as a central and say, right, fine, he's going to the gastroenterologist for that. He's going to the orthopedist for that. Mm -hmm. But at least the GP knew exactly what he was doing when he was doing it and could help coordinate that care. We don't see a lot of people mm-hmm. doing that. They'll run to one doctor. If you've got the sniffles, you go to the ENT. Uh, if you've got the runs, you run to the gastroenterologist. But you never tell the GP everything that's going on with you. Yes, there is a, uh, I would say, a propensity for as the knowledge base gets much more enriched and the collective collection of, of discoveries uh, increase, um, there's somewhat of a separation and discussions, and I myself um, I have to say that um, I have to be quite um, committed, uh, intentionally pursuing, and, and uh, sometimes with much more uh, convincing arguments that uh, within my own, I would say, discipline, as well as the extended healthcare experts, that it's important and necessary, absolutely necessary, for the benefit of the patient to have the conversation and the optimization of all the input. But there is always an agenda that obviously is affiliated with every single individual or entity. And I think that, um, you know, we, we, we have to recognize that um, um, it is not, um, we're not perfect, but I think that if we, if we um, bring the attention and focus to the things that are more superior and um, more, I would say, um, therapeutically bound and less from a liability perspective bound and everybody pitching, if you will, within their own responsibilities and sense of duties to that, I think that this is the only way to even to, to, to calibrate and try to stay uh, at least somewhat leveled. Well, Dr. Kaka, uh, uh, where can people find you if they want to get into a discussion with you or see where you're lecturing and hear some of the stuff? Where can they find you at? Certainly. So there are several websites. Um, uh, my general activities um, are at claudiacotka.com. Uh, specific therapeutic-driven um, practices at smileperformance.com as well as vipdentist.net. Well, thank you for joining us. It's been a very, very enlightening conversation, and uh, God bless you for the work you do, ma'am. Thank you so much. Likewise, it's been a pleasure. All right, check her out. There is a link on the show page. You can just simply click on the link, and you can go directly to see where Dr. Claudia is. We've got our next victim in on the line. Uh, He's got a fantastic book out there. Um, It's called Cancel Culture. Whoops, that's not not it. It's the dumbest generation. (laughs) Boy, am I messing this one up. The dumbest generation grows up. From stupefied youth to dangerous adults. So uh, don't put me in that group, please. We got Mark Berlin. Good afternoon, Mark. How are you doing today? Hi there. I'm glad to join you. Thank you. Oh, man. Um, I have to be honest. I have not completed the entire book, but I, I, the problem is uh, when they send it to me in the electronic copy, I tend to sit there, highlight and put notes on there. So what would normally take me like six hours to read a book, it takes me about two weeks because I've got so many highlights. And that's, that's the problem with these electronic books when you're doing an interview like this. So just bear with me. Indeed. 
<laughs> and of then course, you turn around course. and you print the notes out. <laughs> so I'm not that part of that disposable society that you're right about. But we, we, we do have a generation that's growing up on technology like we've never seen before. Now, when I was growing up, uh, entering high school or graduating high school, or whatever, it was beepers. Beepers were a brand new thing. And everyone was talking about beepers. And then after that came the personal computer. And now it became the, the cell phone. And then the cell phone got more and more sophisticated. And the cell phone ended up becoming a mini computer. You know, the iPads, the cell phones, and all these other pieces of technology we didn't have. So if you wanted to learn something, you went to the library or you talked to an adult. Uh, we don't have that today in today's society. No, we don't. And you're right. The next tool keeps coming along faster and faster so that, you know, if you've got a tool three or four years old, you feel like you're behind the times. They are accelerating our need to become ever more advanced, ever more adept with these new social media things, with all the apps. I have to say to my son, hey, will you download this app for me on, on the phone? Of course, he looks at me like, you know, a dumb, another dumb boomer uh, at work. But, you know, just, you know, when you make it all, we know what happens. If you don't use your muscles, you lose muscle. And that includes if you don't use your mind, if you don't use your memory for more and more things, then you're not going to have one. You know, they don't have to memorize a map. They don't have to look to figure out directions when they're driving in their car. They don't have to remember phone numbers. The tools do it all for them. Increasingly, they can always find out how to do something online. And if, and if that's how you figure out how to do something, you'll forget it as soon as it's gone. You're not really trying to retain things for everyone because it's always there in the phone and you know it works for these 15 year olds because they, they don't have many responsibilities so they can go in their bedroom shut the door and turn on all the screens they might have the game playing that they're playing with other boys across the country Fortnite, for instance they have the music playing they might have a tv show running you know the tv show friends which they still love uh from the 90s uh, they can chat back and forth. They can send pictures. They can do the Instagram, uh, and they can send, send text messages. And it becomes this youth world that they occupy. They're in an adolescent bubble, and it's getting thicker all the time, and it's getting harder and harder for the adults, the mentors in their lives, to put into their heads some of the important truths about religion and politics and history and better works of literature and good role models from the past and realizing bad, who the bad role models uh, were, they're not, they didn't get the adult pressure that would counteract some of that peer pressure that they're in all the time. So we've got now 33-year-olds who are really permanent adolescents. They're still hanging out with one another. They're still on the phone all the time. A lot of the guys are still doing the gaming. They're not settling down and getting married and having kids at nearly the rate older generations were. In fact, by the time they're age 40, 
one-third of millennial men will never have gotten married, probably never will either. This is a sign of, of really generational collapse, and I'm, I'm not sure what to do about it except pointing out clearly the nature of the problem. You know, um, I still run a tea party, and I'm, I'm finding a trend that there are some young kids that are starting to break away. I mean, for a long time, our young Republicans had practically no members. It may have been all of five, five guys. Uh, but we're starting oh. to see a revolt happening. And I think there are some youth that are starting to get it, that the woke society, the one that is behind the Game Boy and texting nonstop and whatever they're doing on their smart device, that's not a life. And they start to look around on finding, and they're seeing there's so much more out there in the world. Put it down for now. Don't, when you sit down at the dining room table, don't take it with you. Uh, I'm starting to see a trend happening. But right now, they're a minority, not yet the majority. I think, do you yeah. think that this is the group we should be starting to concentrate on? Because other, sooner or later, it's going to be like a virus because the good guys are going to are going to make the other guys jealous. And it's like, well, what are you getting? Why are you happy and I'm so miserable? I, I, I think I'm it, seeing that. Am I? It is. Well, I, I think you're correct because they are miserable. You know, rates of depression and anxiety and narcissism are up. Suicide? They said 15, 15 years – suicide, you're right, suicide. They were said 15 years ago to be positive and optimistic, and they're innovative, and they're doing amazing things with the tools, and they're going to, to, to college in record, you know, record numbers, and they're going to lead America into the 21st century. All that optimism about the millennials, that's gone, and they feel – in themselves bitter about their lives. They feel betrayed because life hasn't turned out the way they thought it was going to turn out. And I think it's where some of the woke vindictiveness comes from. They are angry that they didn't get that perfect girl or guy. They're angry they didn't get that perfect job and go, go to the school that they really wanted to go to. They're angry that, that you know, they don't have as much money as they thought they were going to have, and they have student loans that they have to pay, and taxes are higher. They, they, they've had a big shock of reality, and they've turned to the woke stuff or these visions of perfect justice in the world because they don't have religion. They don't have patriotism. They don't believe in forming strong families, there's a great big hole in their souls. We didn't fill them with the grace of God. We didn't give them a country that should give you pride and gratitude. We didn't give them strong family formation and the way in which a family can be a support. It can be a reprieve. Having kids can give you purpose and meaning in life. They're searching for that purpose and meaning, and they're going after the false gods that lead mm -hmm. to cancel culture. I mean, well, what, what is cancel culture? Cancel culture is the idea that if we get rid of bad people, we'll create this perfect society that we all deserve where everyone can be happy. This is utopian 
bitterness. And we know it is a joyless, humorless, punitive enterprise. They're not having fun with this. And you want to tell them this woke culture is not going to make you happy. It's not going to solve your unhappiness. You know what's going to help you? Doing prayer each night. I'm not going to tell you what religion, but having some divine orientation that you can address beyond this world. What a wonderful thing it is to be alone, to kneel, and to address a transcendent being and hand him your troubles, your difficulties, your devotion. It's going to put the day, your life, into a better context than the one you have now. We didn't give them that. They don't have that. What a terrible shame it is that they don't read the Sermon on the Mount or the Psalms or, again, great religious texts in other religions. Something Mm -hmm. that will bring you transcendence. This is going to calm you down. I'm not saying it's going to make you happy. I'm not promising joy, but it will bring you a little groundedness. A little well, more I, understanding it, of the things that happen. Take it a little bit even further than that. That these kids not only lacking God, they're lacking any sort of social skills or ability huh. to interact on a social level. I mean, I had one of our pastors was doing the youth ministry, and my husband, when he's starting to get ill, came over to minister to my husband, just chat to make sure I was okay. But he was saying that in the youth ministry, for the kids that actually do go to church, they have no way of knowing how to interact with others, much less go on a job yeah. interview. They can't make eye contact with you. They, can't, they don't yeah. know how to shake your hand. They don't know how to exude confidence or to read whatever physical and emotional message your body language is sending them. Uh, like if I'm standing you, with my arms crossed, tapping my foot, then you know I'm pissed off about something. But these kids don't get it because they are so isolated, and we're we're social animals. You, we crave you each other. You, you are so right, and this is something that is so overlooked. It's so neglected. You're attaching their eyes to these screens. They don't know that silent language of you know, posture of people's facial expressions, you know, reading their eyes. People communicate so much without words. Well, when they're online, it's all words. And so they don't know that art of, of conversation, the arts of communication. So what I, what I started doing 10, 15 years ago, I would require students to come to my office and talk to me one-on-one and really make them no. Look at me, right? I ask you Mm -hmm. questions. You answer. Think about things. We're going to have a conversation. You're going to converse with someone who is 30 years older than you are, who isn't interested in what happened in your social life last weekend. I'm not your friend, and you're going to relate to me, and I'm going to relate to you as well. And And I regarded that as training in precisely that form of Social communication because they're gonna. You got to go to job interviews. You got to look that that interviewer in the eye. You have to offer explanations of things without saying like 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 like. They don't want that. But again, this online world that they occupy, 
doesn't require that. And and mentor the mentors have let them down on this. We haven't insisted that they learn these things. There's something important that you did put in the book that the older individuals, their mentors are encouraging this behavior without realizing the harm that is going to be done. And this is going on for decades. And I know when I was going to school, um, in junior high, I was diagnosed with having a stuttering problem. And I do radio. (laughs) Go figure. Um, But they sent me in to the speech therapist, and I walk in, I put my hand out, I gave her a good firm handshake, looked her in the eye, and, you know, said, I am so-and-so. And she goes, there's your problem. And I said, what? She goes, you're too assertive. That handshake was too firm. You're too assertive. That's your problem. No, I stumble over my words. And if anything, that would make me be a little unsure. But not. But this is what the kids are facing when you have adults teaching them, mentoring them, guard, being guardians to them with this sort of an attitude. This is the new thing. Do whatever you feel like. It's good. It, it is so strange the way in which my generation of teachers just abdicated their own authority. I mean, I, I know teachers who would say, who am I to tell these kids what they should learn? Who am I to correct them on, on their speech? My response is, what is wrong with you? Do you think you're doing these kids a favor by not correcting their speech, by not telling them where they're, they're failing to measure up? It, 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 it's a very odd thing. I think maybe it was the 60s that surprised the youth movement so much that they didn't, you know, when, when, those, when those 60s people grew up, they didn't. We lost our caller. Oh, Curtis, well, we just lost our caller. Can you try to call him back? I see. Sure. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, we it's, it's such a great conversation. All right, Chris is going to try to get our our guest to come back in on. Uh, his call just dropped off, so I apologize for that. But you know, there's so much to be said for you know what he's talking about. Uh, the '60s, it was like do whatever you feel like. You know, hey man, you know, go ahead and smoke that, that marijuana. Now we have states that have marijuana being legal. They're trying to pass that here in South Carolina. But that feel-good society, that liberalism, uh, is not doing us any good. Because we've got a whole generation of kids that are growing up that don't know what the real world is like outside. They're in their little isolated bubble. They're with their little smart devices. And it's how many likes they have on social media uh, that, that you know, marks them. It, you know, how many likes do you have? How many friends do you have up there? How many people watch your TikTok video? How many people <laughs> went onto your YouTube or your Facebook or whatever the newest thing is out there on social media? But it, it, that's, that's not having a social life. How many people can you just simply turn around, knock on the door, sit down, and, and shoot the breeze with them? I mean, I know my neighbors. you know your neighbors, Curtis? Um, some of them, yes. Well, but I, I live I, in a pretty rural area where, you know, I, I, our property has one house to the whole, <laughs> the whole area here, and it's a ways from our next. But I think one of the issues that I have with 
today's um, technology is that these children were led to believe that they would find happiness and success and 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 peace of mind in technology itself. I mean, think about, um, I think it was like maybe the early 2000s, they started coming out with these 3D virtual gog- you know, goggles and um, where you can put them on and you're like in another world, like a fantasy world. And a lot of kids have used that as a form of a- escapism where they are interacting with animated um, objects and characters and scenes that's, that's not based in reality. And I think they use this, again, as a form of escapism. So they do not have the social skills um, to deal with other people, and they sometimes prefer that way. And we cannot go forth as a society with with, um, citizens that live in a a virtual world versus the real world. That's a huge problem. And if anyone read Isaac Asimov, uh, iRobot, I mean, this is the perfect example of what our society is turning into. You know, you no longer can interact with a fellow human being, and it looks like we've got Mark calling back in. I I got him. I texted him. Welcome back. Welcome back. I mean, sorry, the trolls sorry. are I, in the, the ether. <laughs> well, well, we're we're gonna. You're doing the good work no matter what. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll go on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. Because I was equating to what we're seeing in the kids today to iRobot by Isaac Asimov, where you're no longer able to interact with a fellow human being. It is all robots, and they've got that that electric car commercial. It drives me crazy. This guy riding around with a robotic dog. I mean, how pathetic huh. is that? But everyone you know, thinks this thing is one of the best commercials. This could be where the where, where the United States is heading. I mean, certainly the tech companies are trying to automate and robotize our lives as much as possible, and they they got the kids on the games all the time. And you know, one thing that I that I talk about in the book is. The titans of Silicon Valley hired psychologists yep. <laughs> who were experts in addiction and attention gathering to help them design the tools. They want our kids to become addicts because that's how they make so much money. And they don't send their don't, they don't let their own kids do it. By the way, no. uh, they 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 keep their kids away from the screens while getting our kids on them as much as possible. Well, oh, yeah, Mark, you have to make a dependency. You, you have to be dependent. Go ahead, Curtis. Yeah, while you were off the air, I was I was telling Andy how a lot of these children are using as a form of escapism those um, 3D virtual um, reality goggles that you put on, and you're like in a fantasy land, almost like you stepped into um, Alice in Wonderland. It's not reality. But they feel comfortable in that. You know, they don't have to deal with real people or real issues. And that is a problem for um, society today. They're buying virtual real estate. I mean, what are you going to do with it? Where are you going to put your bathroom, your pot to piss in, if you're on a virtual stage? I'm sorry. It don't work that way. Well, I, I think that's a very astute comment that 
We say there's an unreality here, but they feel more comfortable in that unreality. They, it's escapist. They want to go there, and they want to stay there as much as they possibly can. And, you know, in a way, we understand this. They're adolescents. You know, reality can be tough. There are a lot of disappointments out there. You're not, you know, that girl you want, you want to fall in love with you, she's not interested, all right? Uh, that job that you try to get, you got passed over. It didn't work out. You know, you, you, you don't make, your, your paycheck is not that big, and, and you, you, you got, you, you're struggling. That's reality. But the problem is escape is not the answer here. Going and sinking into, into the, in front of the TV or the video game with the, with the, with the Wii on all the time, that's not going to help you. It, it's going to give you a buzz the way a drug does. And then the drug wears off. You've got to face reality. Or you can do the drug again. You know, you're going to hit a wall. This isn't go- Like I said, it worked when they were adolescents. It's not working anymore. You're in middle age now. It's time to put away childish things. Their response, no. Why should I have to put away childish? Why I like my stuff. Why can't I keep it? That, that's, uh, that, that's the lack of wisdom. That, mm-hmm. that, you know, the wisdom we did not give to them. And they're suffering for it. And, you know, we're suffering for it. One reason why they're so, they're so crazy over politics is because they have no other God. They have no other commitment. Politics mm-hmm. is everything for a lot of the millennials. And, you know, people forget that they're, they're, most of them are left-wing. That wasn't the case 20 years ago. You know, George W. Bush and Al Gore split the youth vote. Now yep. the youth vote is solidly two-thirds. It's been that way. Now, you mentioned you see signs of drift. Boy, I hope so. I mean, we need we need some optimism here. If you see some young people saying, "This is no good," this isn't right, and the, and the whole liberal outlook that says, "Hey, whatever, do whatever you want," everyone should be happy. You know, maybe they're thinking there is some wisdom in conservatism that 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 they should try to absorb. I I well, yeah. I, I, do you see? Is North Carolina, the youth vote in North Carolina, where does that look coming up to the midterms? Do you sense anything? Well, I'm in South Carolina. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, South I mean, Carolina. I'm, South Carolina. Um, we're, we're seeing a little bit of a tide turn. You still have a very, very large majority in, you know, being liberal. Uh, but some of these kids are starting to look around and saying something's wrong here. And the, their inner gut is starting to tell them, so they're asking questions, which is a good thing. Because I'm actually seeing in my own church more young people starting to attend. And that gives me hope. That gives yeah. me a lot more hope. Um, we still have a low attendance because of COVID, and a lot of people still haven't come back. But you see, even the older people are starting to trickle back in. But COVID did not help the situation in the least bit because now you've got whole generations of kids that grew up without even understanding because they were buried behind masks, talking to people or interacting with people behind masks and not able to develop those very precious skills. Those synapses in the brains never fired. 
And is it you too know, late, or can they can they still start firing? I mean, just think of this: an eight-year-old kid has spent one quarter of his life looking at people with masks on everywhere and wearing a mask himself. This is this is going to be deeply unhealthy for his emotional and social development. I mean, I, I think I think we're going to see the impact of this for a long time. We're going to have we're going to have a lot of kids who are just seem behind. They just seem behind. Not only I mean in testing, I you know the federal government suspended testing last year because they knew if we do tests, it's going to be off the cliff. It's going to look so bad. Uh, and I want to say, well, you did this. You know, you told all these kids who were never in great danger, you told these kids, you told kids like my son, stay in your room, don't go outside, don't see your friends, we're going to put police tape around the parks, don't, don't, don't get on that computer, do your schoolwork, and spend seven or eight hours a day in that room with the screen open. How unhealthy is that? For a 15-year-old kid, I mean, I think I think the emotional problems are, are, are off the chart now. Well, you know, not, not only that, the physical aspects that are hitting them, because they're finding out people that spend a lot of time in front of the computers, their phones, whatever, whatever smart device, the blue light not only affects their vision, but it also affects their brain pattern. And they're also finding the more you're on these devices, higher instances – of brain tumors, brain cancer. So really? uh, we're we're looking at the emotional area, but what's the physical uh, problems that are going to be arising from this? And yeah. we have a, as as I've always said, and you, I was so glad you said it. They want this generation and all future generations to kneel at the altar of government. And my listeners know oh, that yeah. is one of my favorite phrases. They want you to bow to the god of government. And which is why they make a war on Christianity, the war on Judaism, the war, war on, on the family. Sort of conservatives. Uh, if we have God and guns, then we're bad. We're we're domestic terrorists. If you're a Tea well, Party it, person, you're a domestic terrorist. If you're a veteran, a domestic terrorist. It's interesting how what has emerged with the situation of parents and the in the public schools. I live in Northern Virginia, and this was a huge issue in the election. It's why Virginia elected a Republican governor, a Republican lieutenant governor, and a Republican attorney general, because it became very clear that a lot of school board members and a lot of teachers had the attitude of kids are with us in school. They belong to us. We are the ones who will decide what they learn, what values they will have, what they will think about politics and social issues. We're going way beyond reading, writing, and arithmetic. Oh, yeah. We are going to indoctrinate. And we don't like families. We actually don't like parents. And it's very clear progressivism mistrusts the family because the family is an independent unit. The family is a resistance against the state against institutional forces and they want to break it up because they they don't like to have 
any kind of independence, any independent assemblies or associations in, in the country. It's the state. The state and the experts in the state will decide for the rest of us. And the media, of course, is really just the mouthpiece of the Democratic Party at, and the state at, at this point. So I just hope that the populist anger, Tea Party and, and the, the working class people have had enough and that they say, you know, you experts aren't so smart. You brilliant people with Ivy League degrees, you really haven't produced for us a society that is healthy. Why should we listen to you anymore? You're not very good at what you do. That, I think that, that sentiment is definitely spreading. Well, I, I think so. I saw some things going on before the COVID broke out. Uh, I just want to mention to my host, Curtis, can you just take a look in the chat room, the message I just sent you, please? Um, before it all hit, um, when I was driving down into Savannah one day, I'm looking at the billboards, and I saw a lot of billboards promoting uh, uh, women to keep their children, that there's an alternative, there's a place for them to go to bring yeah. that child to full term, that there's going to be support services. And I was seeing commercials on TV supporting a healthy family, a mother and a father, raising the yeah. kids together. And this Come is before on. the pandemic. And I think once this pandemic hit, and a lot of parents actually saw what is going on in the schools and in the system with the mask mandates and the mandated jabs, the American spirit is starting to really rekindle, I think. And there's going to be a backlash. There will be a backlash. It will start at the ballot yeah. box, and I call it a ballot box revolution. Well, uh, I think, I think we'll, we will see it. Uh, the Democratic Party has been very good uh, manipulating elections in recent years. They all too often seem out in front of the Republican Party on how to get out the vote, uh, you know, validly or invalidly, uh, how, how to control the process of, of the counting. One hopes that the Republican, local Republican parties have learned some lessons and taken a, a stronger position on ensuring uh, a fair election. Because... Well, the Mark, elite, can, they're not gonna, they're not gonna give up power without screaming. They like where they are. So, um, well, can you hang out with a little bit longer? Because we've got a special guest that called in today. Uh, he found sure. out that I had a blank space when a guest had to back out like an hour before the show. So I want to welcome. Uh, K. Carl Smith of the Frederick Douglass Foundation. And, Carl, uh, we have Mark Berline, who wrote a fantastic book, The Dumbest Generations Grows Up from Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. And it's, I think it's God's will that you called in onto this show because this is right up your alley, isn't it not, K. Carl? <laughs> yeah, um, it is. Not because I fall in one of those categories, but we're trying to do something to take care of the uh, – to remedy the, the education system. Uh, Alabama, the state where I reside, is last in terms of public education of our children. 
Matter of fact, we're not only 50th, we're 52nd. We're behind Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. And uh, wow, <laughs> we got to do something about that. I mean, it, it, it is absolutely pathetic. We can't point to Mississippi anymore. Though years ago, Alabama was always ahead of Mississippi. That's not even the case anymore. <laughs> it also means that even with the Common Core being taught in some states, including Alabama, our children are not learning Common Core either. So, right. So we got a right. situation where our public school system is uh, is not producing. It, it is the it is the American education system is the is the best financed education system, <laughs> system in the world, yep. and not being not producing. So well, uh, a, a couple of things on the ballot. What, what the first thing that I would say is Frederick Douglass was not only a great man but a great writer. I, I have taught. I'm, I'm an English professor. Uh, been one at Emory University for a long time. I teach Frederick Douglass all the time. One of the greatest skillful handlers of the American language who who ever lived. And we need we need to we need to spread his words widely. Now, about the the public school situation in Alabama, let me ask you: How open is Alabama to parent choice, school choice? We're trying, you know, we got a strong state uh, legislature, and uh, you need more teeth into the uh, legislation in terms of uh, charter schools, because um, there's always a fight from the left regarding that. Yeah. But in in, uh, in our particular case, we decided not to go through that fight, so we're actually we're launching a private Christian school. Um, Excellent. The problem is by going charter, you still public. And right, the right, problem right. Is, is the lack of God. Right. So right. We don't want that, we don't want that to be a challenge we got to face, uh, a headache we got to deal with. So we purposely decided to go with a private Christian school. Charters are not going to allow any crosses on the walls. Nope. That's exactly right. Nope. That's exactly right. And, that, and that's but, the problem. Well, I bet that if you, when you open, you're going to get instant parent demand. I think they're going to come running to your school because this is what's happening all across the country. One of the things the pandemic showed parents was what is actually being taught in the public schools. They had the kids with their, with their laptops open and they started overhearing the kind of lessons that these kids were getting in progressivist ideology. And, and the parents were saying, Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm interested in reading I'm interested in my, my, my child reading good books. What's going on here? And I, I, think, I think the minute you open, you're going to have a line outside your door. Well, we already have a waiting list just by talking up in the, in the community that we're going yep. to launch a school in about 18, 18, 24 months. And we already have a waiting list. <laughs> so, Excellent. And, uh, Excellent. And it's, not, it's, it's not just – it's coming from the more disadvantaged communities. Isn't it nice that to be wanted, yeah. right? Um, isn't, isn't it nice Almost definitely. Yeah. to Almost definitely. have people saying, thank you, we want what, what, what you're offering? And, and the public schools are going to resent you, but you're going to say, hey, don't argue with me. Go argue with those parents who are dying exactly to get right. their kids into my school. We, you don't have to make the argument anymore. Those parents will make the argument for you. 
and that's one thing we're really focusing on. You're exactly right. Um, the way we're going to fix public schools is not only through competition, but also to empower parents to become right. self-advocates right. and to become right. to put pressure and keep, keep these schools accountable. If parents can't become self-advocates, um, these schools are not going to improve. But, but, but that's how they are improving because parents are getting involved now. I'm talking about parents in economic depressed areas, in the projects, in these government housing uh, areas that's now becoming more involved because we're teaching them how to become self-advocates when it comes to the education of the child. Because you only get one yeah. opportunity to get the education of the child right, and they realize and, that and now. That's the power of parents. They are willing to go to the wall for their kids. They, they, often they won't go to the wall for themselves, but they will go to the wall for their kids because, as you put yeah, these are my kids. This is the one shot, and I'm, I'm going to sacrifice everything. I am motivated to get my child into a better life through education. Yeah, it's not through you. You have failed. It's time to try something else. Exactly right. And that's, that sentiment is growing across this nation. Yeah, it is. And right here in South Carolina, we've got two bills to remove CRT from all education, whether it's on the upper level and the college level or in our schools, to remove it, period. Um, it's also Will they pass? the choice. We've got a good, good chance. We've got a very good chance. Yeah. And with Henry McMaster says, you get it through and I'll sign it. But we also have a school bill for school choice where we end up having, um, we give the parents money. Whether you homeschool, that tax dollar goes directly yeah. to the child's education, not to a school to be funneled through other programs to pay for the child. Right. It goes directly right. to the family, to that child, and then that parent has a choice. Whether you homeschool them, you charter school yeah. them, you uh, uh, religious school them, it is their choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good. Give it to the parents. Let the parents decide. Okay, politicians don't, don't trust parents. Isn't that clear? Democrats in particular, they don't trust the parents. Well, how, guess what? Parents don't trust you anymore. I can decide. So empower the parents absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, my school board sees me sitting there or sees me calling in to make a comment, and uh, they're not happy campers. Uh, matter of fact, I had to one time reprimand them because they were snickering at me when I went to speak. And it's like, how dare you? How dare, how dare you, you do that? Well, I, this it, is what, yeah. what, what came off in Virginia was yeah. not just the parents unhappy, but the way the school board responded to these parents with contempt and threat, mm -hmm. threatening the parents. So that, that exposed them for their attitudes toward parents, and that really angered people. No. No, matter yeah. of fact, one of those school board members attended my Tea Party meeting, and I did not acknowledge him deliberately because he's the one that snickered. And it's like, okay, huh. if he shows up again, he will be confronted. And yeah. I, when, I, when I reprimanded them, I said, we know who you are. We're coming for your seats. And for those Absolutely. who did not reprimand them for, for that attitude towards us, you're next. For those That's who right. did, 
We thank you. And then I turned to the school superintendent. I apologized to him. I said, this school board that you have to work with, we elected them. I apologize. We will fix that situation. And we've got people running the school board. the, The threat is the only language they understand. That's the only thing that will make them act. You have to make them afraid of you. That's what the left has done to politicians over yeah, and you over make them in America. You gotta make them, you gotta make them fear for they hey, you may go to jail. Keep this up. Uh, put it, yeah. putting uh, pornography in front of children without parents' consent. Things, those kind of things. Some of these, some of these teachers are a little wacko. That's for sure. That's for sure. It's a mental <laughs> An underestimate. Matter of fact, I pulled out to talk about today uh, one of the things that there was a CRT experiment in an elementary school, and children were forced to watch a graphic uh, a video. Now, where the heck was this? This was um, one uh, San Antonio, Texas. In Texas, of all things, uh, what they did was some infantile-minded educator came up with the unbelievable experiment to demonstrate racism. So they separated the kids by the color of their hair. Oh, and brother. And the kids were so traumatized. You know, so the black-haired kids were treated as privileged. Uh, the dark and brown ones were not so much. Uh, if you were blonde-haired or red-haired, you were not treated nicely. And, you know, you're doing this to little kids? Really? You wonder, what, what are you trying to do to these kids? What, what, what is the goal here? Do you want to demoralize them? I mean, it's, it's a form of brainwashing. This sounds like totalitarian society at work. 1984. What else? You have to think the way I'm telling you to think. So if, if I say that color, that it's not blue when it really is, and it's red, I'm going to make you agree with me that it is red, and that is what happened in 1984. No matter what they said, yeah. even though it was wrong, you had to agree with them. And this is That's what right. our woke society has become. Even though you and I and Kay Carl know what we're hearing is wrong. The lies are amazing. And it doesn't matter well, if some of the media recognizes it. The rest of the media plays along with it. So don't look at the man behind the curtain. The Wizard of Oz <laughs> does not exist. Well, what, what I argue in this book is that the left has largely succeeded with the millennial generation. They've made them angry and bitter and disappointed and made them believe that progressive politics to, to their misery. It worked, and we've got to make it stop. We've got to stop it. Well, Kay Carl, I'm going to ask right. you a question. Uh, are you familiar yeah. with Raynard Jackson? Raynard Jackson, I think he's out of the D.C. area. He write, he's a columnist. Uh, yeah, he's, he's uh, also he runs Black Americans for Better Future. He had a really okay. great article he wrote this week um, about the Republican Party, which I'm sure you're going to agree with me, does not know how to really truly reach out to minority communities. And I think a large part of the problem we have um, is that we fail to deliver that message. So we're losing a huge segment of society. Now, he was saying that they were using 
the wrong type of people to reach out to minorities, they're using, as he calls it, a ghettoization. Individuals that really don't stand for the message of the Republican Party or project the wrong message, whether that mm-hmm. they brag about the fact that they used to be hookers or drug users or you know <laughs> okay. whatever. Uh, you don't do that if you want to bring a group of people into our party. You treat them with dignity, respect, and as you say, Mark, you don't talk down. You know, if no. you're speaking incorrectly, uh, well, no, let's let's talk correctly. Let let's look I, at the grammar. You know, it, I, it's not G I F. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, we. The, go ahead. Bernard, Bernard, read Bernard, that we, article. Go ahead. We we talked yesterday, Bernard and I, and um, his point was that the RNC is putting forth. Um, Blacks who have no real connection to the black community, and yes, they are trying to um, trying to, as they say, keep it real and stuff. But he he says they are not good examples and will not draw blacks to the Republican side um, the way they're presenting themselves um, with this um, the talking foul language and stuff like that. You know, trying to keep it real. And we discussed that for about, wow, 40 minutes yesterday. And I agree with them. You know, you, you, you have to represent yourself um, and and still have some dignity about who you are and what you are representing. You know, you don't, ha- you don't have to lower yourself or your standards to communicate with those who are not on your, your same level. Let me, let me make one comment. Politicians think people are stupid. <laughs> they, think, they, they think we're all dumb and that, you know, except they're donors and that they, they talk down to us. They try to manipulate us. They have a very hard time being being open with us. And they live in a bubble themselves. I mean, they 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 occupy their own little world of, of politics. You know, they'll they'll listen to the teachers unions, you know, but a parent group, their first response is, well, who are they? Are they giving me money? I'm not going to pay any attention to them. What do they know? I'm a politician. I'm at the center of things. So they 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 don't trust. They don't trust the American public. No, they don't. They absolutely do not. And um, I've got one of my state senators. He is a solid conservative. I'll hand him that. But whenever we attempt to talk to him, it's like he gives us a lecture. And uh, I had a friend of mine said, don't let him talk too long and cut him off when you feel like he's starting to lecture you. And I kept that uh, to heart. So whenever I have him at one of our meetings, it's like, all right, I, I just make sure that the lecturing stops. And you listen to we the people. And more of us have to start doing that. Listen to we the people. Am I looking this wrong, K. Carl? Well, I agree. Um, I, I agree. Uh, I will go back to Raynard Jackson's uh, opinion piece. I have not read that, but to understand where he's coming from, I totally agree that when it comes to the RNC connecting to the black community in particular, 
the Republican Party is absolutely inept. Hmm. Even though they got even though they got black folks up there doing this outreach, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, if if they did know what they're doing, we wouldn't be in this problem we're in now. If they knew what they're doing, so you know, I advocate that it's all about language, of course. And you got to understand what words have been so demonized by the left that in the black community, those words have a racist connotation, in particular the word conservative, as well as the word Republican. Yeah. So they go on yeah. and using the words that oppressive to blacks and wonder why blacks uh, don't want to listen to them because you're going to use the wrong language. And uh, yeah. what, what is, um, I, I hate to give this guy any credit, but Saul Alinsky hit one time, he said, the person who controls the language controls oh. the masses. <laughs> so that's what's going on. So right. We're losing, right. we're losing the propaganda battle. We got to yeah. win the propaganda battle. We got to we got to improve our brand, and and get people to understand that those of us who identify ourselves as conservatives we're not racist. We're not Uncle Tom's. We got to win that battle. Unless we win that battle, then the battle of messaging will never be won because it's hard to win when you're always under defense, and that's where we are right now. I, I think we let them know uh, that we're not looking to you as our friend. We're not even looking you to be our leader. We're looking at you to do what we want you to do. That's what your job is here. And if you don't do it, you're out of here. That's the only thing that they will understand. That's what they will respond to. So I, 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 I like the tactic of saying don't let them lecture you hey I'm not here to listen to you tell me anything you're here to listen to me what I think ought to be done this is America here that that's I think that's that's the approach yep well unfortunately it didn't work too well with Lindsey Graham <laughs> we're still uh, working on that part <laughs> uh, or as I call him lamesy Gramnesty. <laughs> And if you, uh, if you, if you, I, want, if, you if you if we could get rid of him, that would that would be a big plus. Well, un- unfortunately, he gets a lot of crossover voters because they know that sooner or later he's going to flip flop on them, uh, on us, and uh, go to the dark side. So every now and then we've got to snap yeah, back yeah. at him. But yeah. uh, I had three friends of mine, all Tea Party leaders, sit in his office telling them what. They were telling him what their concerns were, and he says, no, let me tell you. And they looked at him and got up and walked out. Hmm. You know, that, that's the attitude we have of, of politicians. They sit on that high horse for just too long, and somehow we've got to learn how to yank the, yank the horse out from underneath them. We've got to unseat them, unsaddle yeah. them. And that's, that's a hard, hard road to hit right now. It's a very hard one uh, to hit. They, they believe at- that they are very special people, and uh, we need to take them down from that conviction. Absolutely. You're exactly right. They believe, they believe they're part of royalty, like they're part of the royal family. They're kind of ro- royal rulers instead of being public servants. This is not Great Britain. You're not part of the royal family. No. <laughs> Well, you know, one thing, if we're not teaching in schools, 
the American spirit, right? The pioneer spirit, the American way. If we're not teaching young people that, they don't have that independence. They don't have that don't tread on me attitude. They're willing to look at the state as their caretaker. You take care of me. We need to we need to educate them in that being contrary to the American way. I mean, Booker T. Washington should be taught in the schools. I mean, he was strong work ethic, independence, get some economic freedom, and then we can we can do some real politic freedom. But his his message is is is, is lost in the schools today. It is. It is. Unfortunately, and a lot of schools, as you said, don't even teach the founding documents or the founding principles. Uh, here, we managed to get that legislation passed a number of years ago. Now we're trying to get it up into the higher education, to the college systems. So what really also bothers me is that you have these guys go into law school. They graduate law school, and they've never read the Constitution, much less the Declaration of Independence or the Magna Carta. Huh. You've got to be kidding me. Right. What about, uh, what is it, um, common, English common law, the very foundation for the Magna Carta, or, or even our founding document, the Constitution, that recognizes the right of self-defense, the right to own property. Yeah. Well, right all of, of this goes back it, to it, things like due process. Due process. Millennials who are into cancel culture, they don't believe in due process. If you're accused, you're convicted. You're done. This is, this is the approach that, that they have. They don't have that fairness sense of, of being weighed by blind justice. You know, lady justice should be wearing a blindfold. Okay. But no, no, they, uh, in fact, they want to be the ones who are judge, jury, and, and the verdict, giving the verdict. So, uh, but they have to be educated out of that, and they're not. Uh, well, wait, wait until they bring up, and I love this one, K. Carl, the word equity. Mm-hmm. Equity. I mean, what, do you, what the heck do you mean? I mean, you are not equal to me because I have different talents, different skills, and different wants and desires. And I don't assume me to be equal to you because you have different wants, different skills, and different talents. But what makes us equal, not equitable, but equal, is that we have the same rights and freedoms under the Constitution, endowed to us by God, that we are one. We are all equal children in the eyes of God and therefore in the eyes of this republic. And we, we maintain our rights, not government, and they don't understand that. But because they can't win that softball game or they don't get first prize in whatever contest, it has to be equitable so we all get a participation trophy. And that's not what life is about. If I am good at running a restaurant, then that's where my talent is. It doesn't mean that you could run one. So you're good at something else, whether it's writing books. I may suck at that, but we enjoy each other's talent. We enjoy each other's uh, company, and we will defend to the death your right given to you by God 
and enshrined in our Constitution. And that's when they say equity, I just like that's it. I'm out of here. Now, the the yeah. problem I have with this this term they use equity a lot. Um, you know, I'm a military guy, and now they're trying to um, use this term when it you know relates to Marine Corps. They are lowering standards. Marines are now allowed to have their hair a little longer, and all this all of this is because they want the Marine Corps to be a little more inclusive. And 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 like I said, the standards are going down. Marines are Marines for a reason. <laughs> they are to break break bones and 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 do a lot of damage. They are killers. They're trained killers. You know, they should not be used as a social experiment. We send these guys out to defend this country and this country's interests. And I I doubt if. Um, making them inclusive to everyone else in our society is going to um, um, deliver on that. Well, I've got some friends that just... I have have friends that just resigned from the Marine Corps because of exactly that. I was married to a Marine. I live in the heart of the Tri-Command. I've got Marine Corps Air Station in one direction. I've got the Naval Hospital in another. In the third direction, I've got the Paris Island Marine Corps Depot where they train them. I mean, I live among diehard Marines, and they look at what's going on. And the social engineering our government has started under President Obama has damaged us militarily. It's damaged our national security, and it has ripped apart the fabric of moral America. That's my rant for the day. (laughs) Yes, I should should go, but... Thank you for having me on, and I hope people take a look at my book, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up. Well, I hope you and Kay Carl make a connection uh, from being here with us on the show, and maybe we'll see something come out of the two of you together. I'm going to look up the Frederick Douglass Institute right now. It's, uh, well, look up, go, to, go to Liberty Messenger USA. Liberty Messenger USA, I love it. Liberty Messenger USA. Excellent. All right, well, thank you very much, Mark Berline. There is a link to your book on the show page, so when people listen to the show, they can click on it and get your book, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, From Stupefied Youth to Dangerous Adults. It's a great read. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for the work you're doing. God bless. All right, Check out Mark Berline. And now we have just Kay Carl Smith with us, um, Liberty Messenger. What was that again, Liberty Messenger? What? Oh, my, just brain fart. Liberty, yeah, LibertyMessengerUSA.org. All right, I've got to add that onto the show page because when Curtis told me that you were going to be calling in, um, I put your name in, but I didn't have the link to your site. Uh, so I'm going to put that in okay. there now. All right, Liberty messengerusa.org okay it is up and on there see how fast i can do those things now wow that's amazing i'm getting i'm learning i'm learning one of these days i'll do a show without messing up too much right right curtis right who's curtis okay i'm here (laughs) all right now um we had so much more to talk about because Curtis also wrote an excellent article um, 
you sent me over here just a couple of days ago, Curtis. Tell us about this. It's time for major intervention. Yeah, the thing about it is, okay, I was on the phone the other day with one of my relatives up in Philly, and she was telling me all this stuff about how the Republicans that she listened to on TV wanted to take us back to the slave slavery and Jim Crow days and and how how they want to do this and that and the other. So I'm asking her for specifics, but she couldn't give them to me. Of course, you know they never take notes, but they they're ready to 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 um, put forth those things that they hear. And so I said, well, where did you get this information from? And she said she got it from the Black News Network. And I told her, well, you have to consider the source of uh, the information you get. But that's nothing but another mouthpiece for the Democrat and liberal uh, progressive um, um, propaganda. But, you know, I've had this conversation with her before, but she still goes back to um, listening to to um, things like that, um, MSNBC and, and CBS, ABC, and, and the rest, you know. And and the problem is, up in those urban areas, it's hard to find a, a conservative um, talk radio show station. They just don't promote it. And most that you do find, they're relegated to the AM radio station. So I decided to write that article because of the fact that we have within our own country little communist little satellites, or they're being they're being shaped and formed and molded to be communist little areas like our urban areas. And um, I was thinking about about how we dealt with such countries that were like that, like Cuba, um, East Germany, Soviet Union stuff. And we had little little um, radio stations geared towards. Um, promoting freedom and, 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 and to let these people know how terrible their leaders were. And some of these were like um, like the Voice of Freedom, you know, Voice of America. And um, for Cuba, they had a Marty radio, and it pumped in a lot of information about um, freedom and liberty and, and things like that. And um, I felt that perhaps that's what we need to do here with the urban areas since the left has such a grip on the black community and other minority communities that they they're, they we have to go covert. We have to treat this like a war, you know. We have to send in the signal, you know, like we do with countries. And so that that's what I was promoting, you know. Maybe we should come up with some kind of um, voice of, of America or even the Frederick Douglass Chronicles. I said, really... Doesn't matter what we call it, but I do like the Frederick Douglass Chronicles, and you could just pump mm-hmm. information in. The truth, you know, is what I'm talking about. The truth that they're not getting because it is okay, readers and stuff. Well, I, I did read the article, Curtis, and I thought I thought it was a great idea. Okay, Carl, what's your what's your input on this? Well, it's something it's something definitely needed because uh, we are in a fight. For the minds of our of, of, of our of our citizenship here, we have in our country, our citizens, and uh, we gotta be where 
they are, and we got to counter the source of information they're getting. Because uh, right now, that's what we're selling. And we got to get the counter message. You know, when I grew up, I grew up a staunch Democrat. And not only was I a Democrat because of the tradition, but also growing up, I never heard the counter message. I never heard the conservative counter message uh, when I was growing up. Nobody, nobody was in my neighborhood offered me the counter, the counter message. And, oh, yeah, when they did come in talk about the counter message, it was so condescending, I rejected it. It didn't matter about, it didn't matter about the truth, evidence, and facts that they were talking or spewing out. I rejected it because they came across very condescendingly. And so, yeah, you're right, uh, CS. We've got we to gotta get the counter message to the people by whatever means necessary. And, uh, now, got to get on the airway. May I know? May I note what the original goal was for this? Because this this um, this black news network was actually started by a Republican, a black Republican, back former in, congressman, J.C. Watts. Yeah. Yeah. And right. he had problems getting funding from conservative business um, people and, and, and conservative um, politicians. They wouldn't fund it. So eventually, it was taken over by the um, the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he brought in um, somebody from CNN, and the rest is history. You know, they they started promoting progressive progressive um, propaganda and, and and socialist and communist propaganda. Now that whole Black News Network that's that's all it's about. You know, pushing the um, the narrative of the, the left-wing um, movement. Well, it's, it's an interesting thought, but how do we rate, get someone to raise the funding? We can't go to a PAC because you're delivering a political uh, message, a commentary. Um, be interesting, Kay Carl. What's your thoughts on getting someone to actually throw their, their finances behind it and start something new? I think what, I, the best way to start off is like what you're all doing now. We got to do a few podcasts, uh, but your message got to be so strong where you just draw people in and, get, and you're speaking that truth. That's why I said language and words are so important. You got to speak that language of liberty that has a universal appeal, but at the same time can overcome the negative, negative uh, pushback you're going to get from the lip, from the left. We've got to come in and try to demonize everything you're doing. But your message has got to be so strong. The point is you got to leverage Fred Douglas to do it, which the left has no answer for Douglas' liberty message. So that's what I contend. Whatever this platform is, it has to really grasp and lean on heavily the liberty message of Frederick Douglass, which is the counter-message to Marxism. Absolutely. Right. And Absolutely. It, has to be, well, I'm gonna... it has to be a platform that they cannot block electronically. And that's, that's, that's the whole point of this. We have to go kind of covert on the technology side. Well, I, I think maybe Trump mm-hmm. has something there with that new social network. But I will tell you this. Obviously, someone, someone has been listening to this show because last week I was contacted by the executive office at Newsmax, and they're finding here in South Carolina a lot of the, the uh, TV or cable or satellite carriers are now dropping Newsmax, One American News, and some are even trying to drop Fox News. Uh, so he was asked, they were asking me um, how that they could 
battle this. So I kind of like did a little bit of a war room with them, and we came up with some ideas in which to do a statewide campaign. But if you're in the sound of my voice and you are listening to this podcast, check with whoever's providing you your TV service, whether it's satellite, cable, or whatever it is. Um, Find out if it's carrying One American News. Find out if it's carrying Newsmax and Fox News. If it's not, Tell them you're going to drop their service and go with someone who is. And you're in the sound of my voice. If you're here in South Carolina, it's Hargrave. Reach out to Hargrave and say, don't you, don't you drop them. If you drop them, I'm dropping you. You're losing customers. And we'll get the entire conservative, the Frederick Douglass, the Republican base, will unite as one and go after them. And we need... That First Amendment right of free speech and freedom of the press. We need that. And if they have the right to say anything as stupid as they want, so do we. But yet I will also defend that right for both sides. So you're in the sound of my voice. Find out if it's being carried. Matter of fact, I dropped my my carrier and I went to Roku and uh, YouTube TV of all things that does carry the channels I want. So I turn on my Roku, I go to Roku Live, I turn on Newsmax, and I'm happy. I'm a happy camper. Go with a service that provides these, these news uh, stations. One American News, Newsmax, and Fox News. Fox News is kind of a little wishy-washy, but still, at least they get part of the message out there. So, folks, as soon as you get off the air with me, Find out what your service is. Here's another rant for the day, K. Carl. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Oh, man. But uh, what other projects are you working on at this moment? Well, if it's a school, you know, launching this uh, school, getting that going, I've been uh, tasked by the board to uh, uh, with a very sizable challenge. Um, I'm traveling the country raising, uh, my goal is to raise $300 million for an endowment for our school by the end of this year. And uh, wow. I will get it done. I will get it done. Um, so that's mm-hmm. what I'm doing now, traveling and speaking and sharing our story of how we have to disadvantage youth, become productive citizens in our community, in the communities they live, uh, by using a STEM-based platform science, technology, engineering, and math platform. And uh, this is not a theory for us. We've been doing this as a after-school program very successfully. Now we're going to go ahead and launch that to a, a school. Nice, nice. Um, you're traveling all 50 states? I'm everywhere I have to go. I mean, if I have to go to uh, Dubai, I go to Dubai. Yeah, <laughs> all 50 states. To get the funding. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, how are you being received, say, at churches? Uh, I mean, wherever I go, with the, our message that we share is very much well received. Um, and across all political uh, parties, too. So those who say they're concerned about elevating the life of the disadvantaged, helping the disadvantaged, becoming advantaged uh, citizens, so churches, faith-based groups, uh, even liberal and conservative organizations that want to nice. want to help these children. It's, all, it's about children. That's the centerpiece. It's about children. The children. It's not about politics. 
even though we had some major corporations turn that back on us, when we talked about that as part of our curriculum, we had something we developed called the Frederick Douglass Liberty Curriculum, where we're going to train and inspire the next generation of Frederick Douglass Liberty Advocates to stop this push of Marxism. Well, when we told that to these nationally known companies, they turned their back on us. They love the idea of STEM, but they didn't love, they didn't love the idea of the Frederick Douglass Liberty uh, Curriculum. And you're right. Even you know, um, Democrats want their children to have a good education. And, and look at what happened in D.C. They had a program where the kids can go to the school of their choice. And um, Obama came in, and he stopped that, you know. And that ticked yeah, off Democrats a lot of um, black Democrats. Yeah. So you're and right. It goes across political lines and parties. Yeah, well, the hypocrites hypocrites. The hypocrisy that Obama did with that very movement, you know, he was saying, oh, parents should have school choice. But as soon as he's elected, he dropped it and then chose to put his children into a private school, the school of his choice. And right. I, I, right. I shook my head. It's like, why didn't anyone mm-hmm. say something about that? But barely a peep, barely a peep. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, D.C. Right. got it's shut down with thing. school choice. So, yeah, the Clintons and Gore did the same thing. They sent their kids to mm-hmm. private school after when, when they were campaigning and said, oh, our kids will go to private, uh, public school, too. As soon as they got in the office, their kids went to private school, and they claimed for security reasons. Right, <laughs> right. You know, sometimes you just shake your head at the stuff that they pull, and it's like we let them get away with it uh, unless we speak out up against it. But, you know, if we, do, if we do speak out, now the woke society comes after us. Oh, no, no, how dare you? How dare you speak about, you know, children should grow up in a family unit with a mother and father? How dare you? How dare you say that, you know, uh, I can change my gender before I'm even five years old, but it's not going to bother my, men- my mental abilities? Uh-uh. My mental health. No, it's not going to even bother my physical health. And we just sit there and shake our heads and go, where is God in the, this, this person's life? Where is God in our country today, Kay Carl? I mean, we have pushed him to the back burner. And, you know, we allowed them to close our churches for COVID. And the ones that did fight back were heavily uh, penalized. They allowed to... Uh, they forced us to close down our businesses. They forced us to cower within our homes. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think the American spirit's starting to come back, especially with people like you out there, you know, leading the battle. Well, um, the adversary, the the opposition that we're facing, they were very successful, unfortunately, putting fear into the hearts and minds of people. And people did uh, things that you wouldn't a normal a normal minded person a reasonable minded person wouldn't do, but some people did that because of the fear. And so, but yeah, there, there's a there's a comeback because truth always defeats the lie. And more and more as more truth is uh, delivered, articulated by people like you all on your show, and people hear it, that truth resonates. And and uh, lies have to flee, and so 
that's what I'm seeing is happening as I travel the country. People want to be want to be empowered, but they want to know truth. And we just got to articulate the truth in a way where palatable, they can understand and they can receive it. And without now, being speaking of, they, go ahead. Speaking of truth, to keep truth um, in your school and from being corrupted. How do you plan on vetting the teachers that you, you have to hire so um, they don't slip in some, you know, some of those with um, ulterior motives or agendas? Well, they, well our screening Are you process going to for, them? yeah, they, they're, going to, they're, going to be, they're, going to, they're going to be heavily involved in the writings of Frederick Douglass, number one. That's, that's the cornerstone of our curriculum. So they're going to have to spend some time and go through our Frederick Douglass uh, training that we have put together, and um, that's the starting point. And because um, a lot of them are going to come with the baggage of being indoctrinated themselves, I'm talking to these educators, in a liberal theology, a liberal a philosophy. Well, we gotta, we got we to gotta vet them and, and bring them to a level of awareness as well. And a level of enlightenment. Some will get it, some won't. Those who want, well, they won't be part of our education system at our school. Well, now, here's a question for you, because once you get this curriculum put together, would you then offer it to other schools in other states uh, to incorporate well, into their yeah. curriculum? Yeah, nice. well, definitely. Well, we, well, Absolutely. What we decided to do is part of this, we are working with Hillsdale College. So we're going to take that Barney curriculum and uh, we're going to infuse the Barney curriculum with Frederick Douglass. Okay? Right now, it's, just, it's a good curriculum, the Barney curriculum, but it's not heavy in the writings of Frederick Douglass. And I make that point because it is our view that America's greatest liberty messenger, thinker, writer about liberty, the Constitution, human rights, by far, is Frederick Douglass, by far. So to leave him out of the curriculum that, that's focused on liberty and saving our republic is really shameful because he, he has to be the cornerstone because it's, it's, it's more impactful when you hear the writings coming from an ex-slave by his love for liberty respect for the founding fathers of the Constitution than to hear it coming from somebody who may have owned slaves. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's mm. why Doug is so key and so powerful. That's why the left has no answer for Doug. See, Doug was not a, Doug was not, uh, was not a racist. He was a victim of racism. Doug was not a slave owner. Doug was a slave. So when you, when you read the writings of Douglas, his admiration for the Constitution, the, the, the tenets of liberty, when Douglas wrote about free speech, religious liberty, the right to keep and bear arms, the Constitution, economic prosperity, uh, school choice, when you read what Frederick Douglass had to say, boy, that's powerful. And that's where the awakening comes in. And people become what we call Frederick Douglass liberty advocates. You counter wow. these Marxist strength uh, individuals out here. Again, I always see as always heard me say this: the most effective liberty message 
to defeat Marxism is Frederick Douglassism. Hands down. Well, I look forward to seeing this curriculum and maybe even presenting it to our own school board or even to the state school superintendent to have it offered to our schools. That that would be... Yeah. And if, if the person who gets elected is elected, she happens to be a friend of mine. And she and her husband often, well, not often, when we see each other, we'll sit down and have a scotch together. So <laughs> I can always slip it to her. Right, right, right. Yeah. So well, if, if, if she gets elected. Just about go the ahead. state school board or city school board or what? Uh, well, I'm talking about my county school board, but also the state school superintendent. Okay. That election is coming okay. up, and if the person who's running does get elected, she, like I said, she's a friend of mine, and I will give it to her, yeah. and I'll be happy to give it to her, because I know uh, she started um, Parents Involved in Education, U.S. Parents Involved in Education, started off in South Carolina many years ago, and now it's expanded, exploded. Uh, nationwide, uh, she and her uh, daughter will run it. Uh, so I'm, my okay. fingers are crossed. She's going to get my vote. That's for sure. <laughs> Outstanding. But it's well, it's funny the little ideas and things on a show like this that can get bantered around, and you never know what's going to come of it and what blossoms. So, like I said, God many well, times works through through this. I mean, we had the dead well, dead air well, time, and uh, Curtis, you know, texted me saying that you wanted to come on, and God bless you for doing that. You know, I really do appreciate that. Pulled my fat out of the fire today. That's for sure, K. Carl. <laughs> you know, whenever you get a call from, whenever you get a call from the great C.S. Bennett, you got to respond. Oh, oh, not for me, not for me. But really, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. You, but you, yeah, you, 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 you didn't call me. You know, C.S. called me. I would respond to you too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I, I've heard that before. Click. (laughs) (laughs) We all in this together. Yes, yes, we are. Yes, we are. And I mean, there's so much more going on. I I had mentioned earlier in the show Ukraine, and when I said that I think the American spirit is reigniting, watching what's going on over there, I think is reminding many of us uh, what's at stake here. What what freedom mm-hmm. are we losing as we watch to see the devastation over there? And then to see the people themselves rising up to join the fight, not just the Ukrainian army, mm-hmm. which is doing a fantastic job, and Zelensky is, is absolutely floored me, uh, but to see the average person. And now women are going back to fight side by side, taking up the arms, taking the training to learn the tactics to get out there onto the battlefield and aid and help. And then when you watch and see how the Ukrainian army is starting to reclaim villages around major cities like Kiev, uh, and you right. see people from Odessa going to the beach to get sand, to make sandbags for barriers and barricades. I The, the spirit that you see and to see our our own um, men and women from our country that have military training or other training going over to help. I mean, that's the American spirit, and that's the Ukrainian spirit. I mean, I I think I'm seeing a rekindling, and I hope I'm right. 
I think so. Very much so. Well, I I am also praying for that. I am praying for that because, I mean, it's an amazing, amazing story coming out of there. And it looks like Putin's not going to quite get what he wants, and he may end up with another Afghanistan on his hands. But uh, that's for another time. That's for another time. You know, um, we've got the midterm elections coming up, and uh, we've got a lot of interesting things. I'm seeing that there's about 30 Democrats, if I got that number correctly, that said they are not running for re-election as they're going into the 2022 elections. Uh, do we have a chance to take back the House and the Senate? What it, how does it look to you, K. Carl? I think um, we have a chance. It's not because what the Republican Party is doing, per se. Just by when you were frustrated and the, the part of you, and the Democratic Party has gone so far left, uh, that the only way you can voice your frustration is vote for the opposition. So I think being the recipients of that is, is a good thing. But it's not because what the Republican Party is doing, in my opinion. People are just who are, who are voting Democrats for a long time realize it's not the party of the grandparents. And, uh, and so they're, they're concerned about their children, too, uh, with the children being taught and behind their back. So I do see that happening. I see that that amber of uh, wanting liberty, wanting the best for your child, knowing that you only get one opportunity to get the education of your child correct. That's that's happening. But it's not because of what the Republican Party is doing, let me tell you. It's because people are just fed up, and uh, they're going to vote the, the opposition uh a way they used to vote, in order to show their frustration. Yeah, well, well it looks right. like here in South. I'm sorry, Curtis. I was just going to say that here in South Carolina, it looks like Katie Arrington is gaining a lot of speed, especially with the recent endorsement by President Trump. Uh, and Nancy Mace has a lot of people ticked off, so that's one seat that's not going to be a rhino sitting in it very soon. Um, so go ahead, Curtis. I was just going to say. <clears throat> He's right. There's going to be a lot of protest votes um, coming from those who originally supported um, Joe Biden because of my inroads into the, the black community, having friends and relatives there. They they all are, are telling me about their disdain for Joe Biden. They do not like him. And they're actually saying they're going to re, um, vote Republican. And, I mean, these are people who were like hardcore liberals you know for most of their lives and they're telling me they don't like the way the country's going they're tired of the mandates being told this and that and the other and they're tired of hearing this especially hearing that um republican states you have more freedoms you have more liberties you know and i i press that issue all the time when i talk to them i say y'all still wearing masks up there <laughs> mandatory <laughs> you gotta show you got vaccinated to right, get into right. a, uh, a business i said We've been beyond COVID over a year and a half ago. Our kids went back to school, and no kid has died from COVID going back to school here in Florida, you know. So it's all a scam, but they're starting. some of them are starting to wake up. And and more than anything, it's the economy that's driving their, um, their, their angst because that's, I mean, they're being hit in the pocket like everybody else. High gas prices, high food prices, um, rents going up. 
it's hard to get food on the shelves because um, gas is so high. Um, everybody's putting, um, they transferring their burden onto the um, the customer, the consumer. So you know, yeah, yeah, they they are they are ticked off at this administration. No, I I love going to the gas station, and on the pump are those little Biden stickers that point to the price and said, I did that. I mean, I, I crack up because, you know, it's very true. And what, is, what does Biden do? He, he blames Putin for the gas prices. When he shut down the Keystone Pipeline, he, cut, he shut off drilling all over the place. He's holding the permits but not giving them out so that the, the companies can't. So now at this point, the inflation is so high, the oil company says we can't afford to drill. Well, mm-hmm. how are we going to get how are we going to get prices down unless we encourage these gas companies to start drilling once again? And I don't think Biden's got that completely through his head yet. Yeah, yeah. Tough times. Well, well okay, Carl, it was a pleasure having you on. And um, people can oh. find you on your website. And if I don't mess this up, I'm going to get it right libertymessengerusa.org and I do hope that Mark Berline reaches out to you and the two of you can collaborate on something yeah I'm going to circle around with CS and try to get the Mark's uh, contact information so we can chat absolutely absolutely All right. thank you and God bless for the hard work you're doing okay y'all take care thank you so much all right what, what a great man to pull our fat out of the fire. <laughs> That's a good friend, Curtis, a good friend. Anyway, I want to welcome our final victim of our show for today uh, from Heritage Foundation's news website, The Daily Signal, Douglas Blair. Good afternoon, Douglas. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're having a fun day here. We're having a very, very fun day. And it's great when oh, I yeah. get great a, a couple of my guests to uh, talk with each other and then form a collaboration. You never know what comes off this show. Absolutely. Good to have people working together. (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, Matter of fact, uh, I I was telling the audience earlier that I had the corporate office from Newsmax reach out to me last week uh, because here in South Carolina, uh, there's threats of some of the uh, TV carriers pulling the station. And they were asking me what were my thoughts uh, on and how we can get the message out. And I threw a bunch of things at him. I was like, well, I know this person, I know that person. So someone in Newsmax, I think, is also listening to the show. Not just you guys over there at Heritage, but someone else is also here. So that's a good thing. That's awesome. That's a good good to hear it. <laughs> yeah. So I've been telling everyone, check to see your TV provider and make sure that those stations, Newsmax, OA1, and Fox News, are being carried. If not, switch carriers and let them know make the phone call saying if you don't keep them i'm switching i'm dumping you which is what i absolutely um talking about censoring people you had a great article or you have i should say a great article up on the daily signal and it's titled 11 people and outlets censored by twitter for questioning gender ideology and i read this thing and i was cracking up but the part is, is, it's sad at the same time, but the hypocrisy on the left in your article was just stunning, absolutely stunning. Uh, for example, the Babylon Bee, 
It's a satire magazine. You can't take mm-hmm. a single word in there seriously, but it's pure satire. But they get censored by Twitter because why? Because they question gender ideology, which is this the kind of cause du jour of the, the modern left. So if you say anything about transgenderism or you say that a man cannot become a woman or a woman cannot become a man or that you, God forbid, should not be giving children puberty blockers, then you're considered to be a bigot and you get canceled. This is, I mean, what we saw with, you mentioned the Babylon Bee, a satire website. It's what we saw with Charlie Kirk, founder of TPUSA. I mean, it's it, the world has gone topsy-turvy when a major social media website will not allow you to state the truth online and would prefer to censor you for saying what is objectively biological reality. You know, we have Rachel Levine. She's a four-star admiral in the Department of Health and Human Services. Four-star admiral. I thought that was a, a Navy rank, not one in health and human services. That, that in itself floored me. But, you know, she is biologically a man, and I'm probably going to find myself having my feed taken down in about five minutes. Um, you've got Turning Point USA, Charlie Kirk. He also uh, turned around and got smacked down. What happened with Charlie Kirk? So Charlie Kirk actually followed up with the Babylon Bee. So um, to give some, some context here what happened, USA Today, which is actually – Scarily, one of the most read magazines and news outlets in America posted its Women of the Year. This is celebrating women who they believe had done something to benefit the country, who had done something to maybe benefit the world. And one of the top members of this list was Rachel Levine. Now, as you mentioned, Rachel Levine is biologically a man. He identifies as a woman, but biologically he is a man. So what ended up happening is a couple of pretty outspoken conservatives came out and said, this is ridiculous. How are we celebrating this man as a woman of the year? Twitter decides that's a no-no. You can't say that. It starts banning people left and right, and then eventually it starts to snowball. So the Babylon Bee initially releases an article called, you know, Rachel Levine is the Babylon Bee's man of the year. It's very, it's very funny. It's, it's, it's great satire. Uh, Twitter takes action and bans them. Charlie Kirk notices that this has just happened starts to bring kind of attention to it and says, this is ridiculous that we're starting to celebrate men as achieving women's standards. So Rachel Levine is the first, quote-unquote, female four-star admiral. This isn't just the first four-star admiral in this position. It's the first female. Now, to people who view that, that, that Rachel Levine is a man, that's horribly offensive to basically say that this man has taken this position that a woman should take. Uh, the Jeopardy contestant who, who was winning a couple months ago is now considered to be the top female winner. Now, he's also a man. Uh, we have Leah Thomas, one of the swimmers at University of Pennsylvania, is a man competing against biological women. So whenever people will celebrate these as female victories, it rings a little hollow. So, again, I think people are just kind of recognizing that Twitter is putting its thumb on the scale here to define what is a man and what is a woman, and it's going to say, well, a woman's whatever we say it is. It's not actually a woman. It's, it's you know, if you say you're a woman, you are a woman. <laughs> well, you know, some of the others are taken down over this. The Christian Post, uh, they, they get taken down. But Ken Paxton is threatened, but I, I love this part. Uh, he was slapped with a warning, but because of public interest, because he's 
Texas Attorney General, heaven forbid they get sued by the Texas Attorney General. They don't want to face that, so they just they just warn him and, and slap him with the warning. But I loved his response because uh, he he hit back at them pretty hard. Um, he wrote yesterday. I stated an irrefutable scientific fact: Rachel Levine is a man. I pointed out after USA Today named him a woman of the year. But Levine is not a woman. He has one X and one Y chromosome and other male sex characteristics. I just, you know, say the science. For simply saying this matter-of-factly, Twitter blocked it as hateful. But he he puts up this beautiful post just to refute them. Uh, But that same day... um, they congratulated University of Virginia swimmer. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, Paxton posted a, a congratulations to University of swimmer Emma Wyatt. Am I pronouncing her last name right? Yes, Emma Wyatt. Yeah, Emma Wyatt as the real winner of the race and called for Leah Thompson Thomas, a biological. I can't even talk today. Biological male who competes as a woman. So he called it out, but. Because he's the Texas Attorney General, they dare not pull him completely down. So they go after other people that can't defend themselves, like Jim Banks. Uh, he's just a congressman, right? Mm. Yeah. So, no, I mean, it's just crazy that the levels of people that they can they can censor are representatives of Congress, right? This is. I mean, we saw this happen. Uh, with President Trump when he was sort of censored. I think that was really when the floodgates opened that they said that they could censor a public, opinion, or a, a public figure based on the fact that they didn't like what they were saying. You know, it, it, now, there was also another individual they went after, um, this New Zealand weightlifter, Laurel Hubbard. So they got slapped down. Allie Beth Stuckey, uh, she was uh, during the 2020 Olympics. Um, She's now a conservative podcaster. She gets pulled down. Uh, a friend of mine, Eric Erickson, uh, for his support of Stucky, for her saying Laurel Hubbard is a man competing as a, as a female. Um, another one, Esther O'Reilly of Quillette. She's another perfect example you write about. Oh, man. Now, there was one I read that uh, uh, the... Transgender, one individual, the transgender was suing a beauty salon uh, because they would not wax his male genitals. It's a woman's yes. beauty salon. That floored me. I mean, it was, it was horrific. So this, this is a man named Jessica Yaniv who's quite famous in Canada for going to female beauty salons saying, will you wax my genitalia? And then when the people say, no, I'm sorry, this is a female beauty salon, he sues. And the idea that he's trying to push here is that he's oppressed, he's a victim, because these poor uh, women at these salons won't want to touch his male genitalia. They're not trained to do it. And frankly, I think it's disgusting that this man wants that to happen. So one of the people that he, he was targeting was a journalist named Lindsay Shepard. Now, Lindsay Shepard is a fighter for free speech, and she's actually not a conservative. We've talked with her before at The Daily Signal. She's a believer in liberal values like free speech and free religion and freedom of the press, 
but she's not a believer in sort of conservative principles outside of that. But she got into a discussion or an argument, I would say, on Twitter with Jessica Yaniv because Jessica Yaniv um, insulted her. She, comes, she, she was on Twitter, and Jessica Yaniv, this man, comes up and tells her, well, your, your uterus doesn't work, and he says horribly insulting things about her. When Lindsay Shepard defends herself and, and calls him a man, guess who gets banned from Twitter? Not the man who was, you know, insulting this woman, not the man who is, you know, degrading her and treating her like, you know, she was nothing. It's the woman who acknowledges a biological fact and says that you're a man that gets banned. So Twitter, again, Twitter likes to claim that this is all in the sense of public safety. This is all to create an environment of respect and understanding, but then they don't really actually do that. They'll ban somebody who acknowledges a fact and keep a vile, awful man on their website because he happens to identify as a woman. It's completely messed up. Well, he also went after Megan Murphy because she used the male pronoun. Now, she's a feminist. Correct. Yeah, right? so Megan Murphy is a, yeah, so she is a, a Canadian feminist who... <laughs> Uh, again, not a conservative. I think that this is something that we really should be highlighting, that these are not conservative women. These are women who recognize that their rights as real biological women are under threat. If you can just say, wake up in the morning and be like, I'm a woman now, well, then what is a, what is a woman? It just doesn't matter anymore. There's no biological standing behind it. So Megan Murphy recognizes very clearly that this is a threat. So Megan Murphy uses these pronouns. You use he, him pronouns to refer to a guy. If you were talking to me, you would call me a man and you would say he, him. But he, or she uses these pronouns to refer to Jessica Yaniv. Of course, that's a big no-no. You can't do that. So Twitter starts banning her multiple times because she keeps coming back and being like, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say that this is a woman because he's not. Uh, eventually, it results in a permanent ban. She is permanently suspended from the platform, is not allowed back on. She tried to file, file a lawsuit in California but was unsuccessful. And, and that's the scariest thing, right? When confronted with the law and when confronted with reality, that. The courts, at least in California, determined that that wasn't acceptable, that it was still more important to protect the feelings of a man than to actually protect the truth of a woman who was speaking out against it. You know, it's one thing that really drives me crazy because Title IX was passed when I was going to school um, to protect female sports. So, you know, we were not getting... Uh, the school funding or public funding or the attendance or whatever it was because we were females. No, no, they want to see the guys play football and beat the crap out of each other. I don't blame them. I like the game, too. I happen to like ice hockey, too. It's nice and it's brutal. But, you know, girls, as they mature and go into college and then they are uh, scouted for going into professional sports or competing on a professional level uh, whether it's gymnastics or whatever, you know, we're built differently. Our muscle mass is definitely different. So as for weightlifting, I'll never lift a weight the man can lift. But mm -hmm. Title IX is supposed to protect me so we can compete and have a career, whether it's in from the Olympics or in a professional sport. It gives us a chance. It's our income. It is our career. And Absolutely. they're stealing yeah. that. 
They are stealing that precious gift. So what girl is ever going to go out to play, say, volleyball or soccer or tennis if you're going to be competing against a biological male who will beat you out every single time? Why would I yeah. even think about doing that? And what does that I think do it's really to great girls? That you... No, I think it's really I'm great sorry. that you bring that up because basically we actually had a discussion with Penny Nance, who is the president and CEO of Concerned Women for America, just about this. They put in a Title IX complaint uh, basically saying that Leah Thomas, one of the, the transgender athletes here on this list, a biological man competing against women, uh, that it's not fair. He grew up as a man. He went through male puberty. He has bigger muscles. He's, got, he's like six foot one. He's humongous. Of course he has an advantage. You look at this person and you say there is no way that a, that a woman can compete with him. There was an Olympic athlete who could not beat him because he was a boy in a women's pool. I mean, if, if an Olympic athlete doesn't have a chance against this guy, I mean, I don't think that any woman in her prime would be able to beat a man. If an Olympic athlete isn't good enough, we're, 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 we're the average woman is never going to be an Olympic athlete. But if you can't even do that, there's no way. You know, if you, if you think back a number of years ago, the Iranian soccer team was made up half of transgender men. So I think that they got away with it from in Iran. So I think the liberals here today said, well, they did it in Iran and no one complained. And the Muslim uh, imam didn't, didn't say that this was against uh, Allah and Mohammed. Uh-uh. So we can do it here. I think that's where they got the idea. I don't know. Maybe. Am I looking at this a little differently? I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a possibility. I think what the liberal perspective on this is, and the leftist perspective here, is that identity and self-proclamation is the only thing that matters. If you can even question biological reality, because, again, that's what we're looking at here. This is biological fact. For the thousands of years that humans have existed and animals have existed, we have never questioned whether or not a man is a man or a woman is a woman. That is one of the baseline beliefs of human beings, that humans are different, men and women are two sexes, and that's it. You don't get to decide, oh, I'm not this, so Mother Nature got it wrong. But now the left has decided that, no, humanity makes that choice. Humanity is the one that gets to decide what they are, right? In, in a lot of right-leaning circles and conservative-leaning circles, it's God who decides, right? You're not born a woman because God made you a man. You're born a man because God made you a man. But we're seeing this sort of new reality where leftists believe that they themselves get to decide what is and what is not the truth. And that's a very dangerous road to go down when you're letting human beings who, you know, are thinking that nothing is sacred and that nothing has a sort of set definition make the call. Because again, we're seeing this reality play out in front of us. If you are looking at Leah Thomas, a six foot one man competing with women, and he's dominating them in the pool, they, the left will respond to you and say, well, don't trust your lying eyes. Nothing is wrong here. This is absolutely natural. Leah Thomas is just as much of a woman as, you know, you are. I mean, she's just as much of a woman as the, the, the girl in the pool next to him, which is just not true. And there's so many things are running through my mind, and I don't know if I can say them on air. <laughs> <laughs> Being a woman, there's certain things that you can't do that I can. There's certain things you can feel 
Now, I can feel that you definitely will never feel. So you can change the equipment, but you ain't going to get there, honey. Um, right. But we're, we're seeing the consequences of this movement. It, it, it's, it's, I told a previous guest that uh, I equate it to what you see happening in schools uh, over the last several decades, uh, that girls will get into some sort of a fad, whether it's anorexia, bulimia, uh, early uh, pregnancies, uh, things like that. Uh, they had fads. They went through these things because girls would hang out in cliques. So what your girlfriend did, and if you wanted to be part of that clique, you just followed along. And I'm seeing the same thing here, and I made this uh, observation actually a couple of years ago, but it, the consequences of it are now a high increase in these girls committing suicide or attempting to. Mm-hmm. There were two cases recently down in Florida. There was one um, two years ago out in California where the mother is now suing where it got so bad for the girl that she had herself deliberately put in foster care. And when she did return to her mother, she was in so much physical pain because of the hormone therapy she couldn't take anymore. She went out to the railroad tracks, laid across them as a train was coming. And when the mother tried to see her body, daughter's body in the morgue, the coroner would not let her see it because it was that bad. I mean, this is the consequence of these actions. It's horrible. And I think what you're, you're talking about that case, the Daily Signal actually did report on that. And reading that story broke my heart where this poor mother was talking about how this ideology tore her daughter from her. She was scared. She was terrified that her daughter was going down this road that she wasn't going to be able to come back from. Unfortunately, she was right. And you're right that this is now a sort of social contagion. That's the the term that a lot of people will use, that this idea that girls will do what their girlfriends will do. That is the hot new craze is to be transgender. There's been some reporting on this from a woman named Abigail Schreier. She wrote a book um, about this very effect where women young girls in particular, are starting to view themselves as boys. They say, I'm not comfortable being a woman. I'm going to be a man now. And they, they go through the surgery. They, they, you know, do things to their bodies that are irreversible. And eventually they find out, I'm not a boy. I was just going through puberty. I was just, you know, a teenager. Teenagers make stupid decisions all the time, and they're not sure about themselves. They don't know what it's like to be an adult. Obviously, they're going through these very difficult processes. But the left has capitalized on this, where they can say, no, you're not going through puberty. You're not, you know, you're not confused. You're just a boy. You're not, you're not, you know, going through one of the most difficult times of a young person's life. You just need to change your gender, go through surgery, do all these things to your body, and then you'll be happy. And it's just not true. And as we saw with that one case uh, of that poor girl in California, it's not. It, it, this is not a road that leads you to happiness. It's a road that leads you to ruin. It is. It is. And it's, it's very scary. And uh, we're seeing being pushed. And the worst part is it's being pushed by school systems, psychiatrists, and other, what do you want to call them, uh, public guardians, um, to put the phrase, I could think of other terms I could use, but without the parents' knowledge. Now, that's the scariest mm-hmm. part. The parents' rights are being usurped. And uh, I think a lot of parents are starting to get scared, but you now have this digital age 
where these kids are directed to websites that the parents don't even know they're visiting. And then the people on the website will team up with that child and groom them. So the mm-hmm. child says, well, I've got a friend now, someone who understands me, that can walk me through it, like this girl in California did, had someone older that groomed her. And, yeah. and that's the frightening part because parents are losing total control, not just of the education of the child, but of the rearing of the child. And the physical and mental health of the child is now out of the parent's control. That is frightening. It's, ter- it's terrifying. And we are starting to see, as a, as a sort of piece of good news, we are starting to see states and legislatures take notice of this. So in Florida recently, Governor Ron DeSantis uh, passed the, a much maligned bill in the media. They, they call it the Don't Say Gay Bill. It's very much so a parents' rights and protections bill. Uh, to basically give parents the power to understand what's going on with their child. So previously, the teachers could just hide it. They could be like, oh, you know, we're going to pretend that your child is a boy when he goes home, but at school, she's a girl, right? You know, they, they would have these kind of like secret, you know, correspondences between teachers where, you know, Johnny doesn't feel like a boy today. Johnny feels like he's Jane. He's a girl. And, you know, the parents would be completely in the dark. Uh, Ron, Ron DeSantis has decided that that's not acceptable, which I think we can all agree is probably the right course of action. Uh, he passes this legislation, and of course the radical left is going to try and claim that he's trying to kill gay kids or he's trying to ban people from talking about these concepts, which is just not true. You're right that parents need to be given the tools to help their children, because if it's given to uh, to teachers or to school administrators or to, God forbid, a groomer, then we have these problems that we see with the case in California where these girls, uh, where this poor girl was, was sort of tempted into transgenderism, did not find happiness, and instead ended up, you know, taking her own life. We don't want that. We want our parents and um, we want people to be able to treat their children the way that they see fit because, of course, a parent's going to understand their child's needs more so than some school administrator who sees them for a couple of days a week. Well, Doug, it has been a pleasure having you. We're down to our last four and a half minutes. This show has just flown through. Um, People can find you at the uh, Daily Signal, which is the Heritage Foundation's news website. Fantastic articles. I love going over there. I use a lot of your stuff, obviously. (laughs) And I welcome you back. Tell Tom you got something going on. You just say, bring me back on Annie's show. She's a good kid. She knows knows her stuff. (laughs) Well, God bless you for the hard work. It's always a pleasure to come on. Oh, thank thank you so much. much. God bless. All right, Doug Blair, check him out at heritage.org at The Daily Signal. Uh, That's all we got here for today, uh, Curtis. We'll be back here next Friday. Mark Tapscott will be back, and I have to contact Tiffany Thompson and get her back on. She said on the first she's going to do her best to make sure she's there. She's got some really Uh great new music out, really, really patriotic, but great music to listen to. Um, And then on the on the 15th, Kathy Barnett will be with us again. So we've got things lined up. We're already booking into April. So I'll leave everyone with my song from Gary Pecorella, Save America. So until then, I say good night, God bless, and be safe out there.
America, America, the home of the free. But there are people making plans to change America. They've no respect for her, or what matters most to me. That's why I stand for the plan, and I kneel at the cross. Mom, for the friends I have loved and lost, and ask Oh, uh-huh.